I would have a witty intro this week instead of last week, but unfortunately I was spending too much time picking out my Snapchat filter. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Dre being disrespectful to this show. Yeah, fuck it, I'm leaving. He's, he's disrespecting both of us, King. I ain't having this. Yeah, we're out. We're out. We're getting Fairman in as replacement. Podcast is cancelled. <laughs> Welcome back to Motorsport 101. This is episode 61. I'm your friendly neighbor, that's Mr. Andre Harrison, and welcome back. And uh, just the three of us this time around, I'm joined as ever by Mr. Adam Johnson. Hello, I have just about recovered my sleep patterns from Saturday into Sunday morning, and any of you ungrateful sods moaning about waking up at 6 a.m. for the F1, try waking up at 1 a.m. Fortunately, the race I woke up for and stayed awake for past the end of the GP was pretty good. I'll tell you I'll tell you about it in a bit. Like I love that Johnson's now so old that 1 a.m. is now apparently a problem for him. You absolute yeah. pansy. Waking up yeah, at yeah. 1 a.m. Yeah. For that race, I did not go to sleep. I did not go to sleep. And I had work on the next day. To be fair, I woke up at 1 a.m. and then didn't go to sleep again until 8 a.m. the next morning. But I, I can one up both of you fellas on this one. I woke up on. at six, knowing I have to go down to my shop to open it up at nine thirty in the morning. So I just, I, for me, it was just a matter of waking up like an hour early than I normally would for work on a Sunday. <laughs> so you, so you, and even you, then, you, you probably you still wasted work. your time. Yes. Yeah, so all of you can kiss my ass. Uh, quite frankly, I'd rather speaking not. of which, one of them is Ryan King. Hello, sir. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm doing good. <laughs> He's too, he's too busy shitting his pants. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's an off-podcast joke there. I may, I may talk oh about God, it. Oh, God, too, too much. <laughs> it's going to be like that episode of Mop the Week where they kept making jokes about anal lube and they had to cut about 25 minutes of the final half an hour episode. <laughs> this is just as true. This is yeah, true. Yeah. How, much, how much of this are we gonna actually going to cut? There's going to be a full episode of Outtakes known as the deleted shitting razor blades episode. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, we've been recording for about two minutes and 40 seconds so far. And I, think we've, we've, I think we've got about 30 good seconds worth right here. <laughs> it's just going to sound really fucking clunky in the post-edit, I can tell already. Um, but if, you, if, you, if you're still listening to us after our very professional intro to the to this <laughs> program, first of all, I salute you. Two, you must be absolutely crazy. And three, well... There's our places you can follow us. We are on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. We just put a brand episode of the Dre Review series out there where I talk about Wipeout Fusion and I basically compare the Tasha Belbondo to Lewis Hamilton. It's a fun time. You should go check it out. Um, it's, we've got a bunch of more videos to come up there in, in the meantime. I've actually got a week off work next week, so I'll be embracing the grind totally like a really corny freelance journalist or something um had <laughs> to that so that'll be a thing um looking forward to that we are on social media we're on facebook at facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101 and we're on twitter at motorsport underscore 101 and our personal twitters are at harris 101 hd ryan eric king that's with two k's and that's also at AJ underscore Bomber Sports for Adam. And if you really, really like us, besides from listening, obviously, on the usual places like SoundCloud, um, Stitcher, TuneIn and iTunes, you can also back us on Patreon if you really, really want, you know, to back us further and, you know, give us the best possible platform for stuff and all that good stuff. That's awesome, including two new Patreon back as well. Shout out to Scott Woodwiss and Sean Machuku as well. Sorry if I butchered your name there. I greatly apologize. I've had a tendency... 
on Patreon of getting really like difficult to pronounce surnames. I apologise indeed. As well as one other. Well, this is the guy who once struggled with Louis Sadabe. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. I'm going to let that one slide just this once. <laughs> Best bike life moment ever. And it was the very, literally, very <laughs> first one. <laughs> More on that in the winter. Uh, but, uh, yeah, um, so, 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 so join us on, obviously, uh, so shout out to those guys, Sean and Scott, our new Patreon backers. Um, again, if you back us on there, includes little things like early access and potential free merchandise as well if you win the backers. We've actually got the first batch of Motorsport 101 t-shirts off Redbubble earlier this week. They look very, very awesome indeed. I'll be shipping those out most likely next weekend. So if you guys have backed us for more than $10 in the past and $15 now, you get a free t-shirt. So um, yeah, I'll be shipping some of those out very, very soon indeed. Stay tuned. And one more big piece of news. We actually have a new home. The podcast has an official website now. We are now at motorsport101.net. So we have an official website where you can find all of our stuff, uh, our videos, our, our podcast itself, obviously, links to all our social media. We're going to expand the About section to have sections for Johnson and King on there very, very soon. I have a video out on the channel describing some of my stuff in a new series I called Meet the Team coming very, very soon as well. And yeah, basically, you've also got our blog as well on there, so we'll have all sorts of written content up there as well over the next coming months as well. Um, I'm enjoying my writing again, so there'll be, there'll be a lot more on there. I mean, there's a two-parter on Lewis Hamilton I've got coming up very, very soon as well, which will be very interesting. But uh, we have a new home now, as I like to call it. I let I let King and Johnson sleep on my couch, essentially. Um, that is the former Harrison101.com that is now switched over, so I, I've sacrificed my good name and brand. For this, <laughs> um, but uh, it's, it's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. <laughs> yeah, your brand wasn't that strong anyway. <laughs> Fuck you, King. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't Connor's level of strong, was it? But then again, I don't think anyone could get Connor's levels of strong brand unless you actually slept in the American flag. I'll have you know on Twitter last night that I had a bunch of my catchphrases being shared out there. I was very proud of myself on that occasion, like. Back from the Ask FM days of shoulda, woulda, coulda. I was like, these guys have got some pretty cool throwbacks in there. I was like, yeah, go me. <laughs> I have phrases. <laughs> like, well, well, instead of, the- of your stock one currently, which is fuck Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the works. Um, also, shout out to NASCAR, dude, tweeting me saying, uh, Helio has great hair. See? It's catching on. I tried to tell you people. It's, I agree. It's, it's catching on, everybody. We've got to get that on a t-shirt at some point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Anywho, without further ado, let's get into Keeping It 101. Okay, I'm not even. Gonna, I'm not even going to try and come over witty line here. Johnson talked to me about the bar first one thousand. <clears throat> well, 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 well. Um, I'm going to try and not make the next two hours of your life waxing lyrical about this race. Basically, anyone who knows me knows that the Bathurst one thousand is my favourite race of the year uh, anywhere in the world. NASCAR, it doesn't matter. Don't we all know it? <laughs> it? Just a bit, yeah. I mean, it's on the greatest racetrack in the world, Mount Panorama. It features the V8 supercars, best touring car series in the world. Brilliant. And it has an, an ability to, despite often running longer than six hours, it ends up 
just being spectacular. Like the last something like the last seven years of races, the gap, uh, the 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 winning margin has been less than a second. And basically, the story of this year's race was first half all bow down to the Dark Lord that is Jamie Wincup. There is no way he's losing this one. Second half, oh, he has lost it. And we get the closest finish in Bathurst history when Will Davison wins for Techno Autosports. Literally, this was a race of two halves. And I feel sorry for anyone who understandably potentially said, Do you know what, I'm calling it a night. Because obviously here in the UK, it, was, it started at 1 a.m. our time and ended at 8 a.m. So it was literally an all-nighter to watch this thing. And I, I had a few friends text me and go, do you know what? I'm going to catch the, S the rest of the race in the morning or whatever. I said, okay, then. And from around lap 85, halfway through, no safety cars up to that point. Clean and green the whole way. Longest stint green going into the uh, for that long in the race in about 20 years odd. And then after Andrew Jones wrecked the number eight Commodore up at the top of the mountain, big crash actually, it just went off. It blew up. And... We had in the second half of the race, we simultaneously had Jamie Winkup saying, you know, showing why he is probably the very best of this era, like including a stint where he had to, he was short on fuel, like he would have to make an extra stop compared to everyone else around him. So he needed something like 25 or 30 seconds on the field. He almost got it within 20 laps. He is a freak. He was putting in qualifying lap that put, put him on the pole laps, lap after lap like three quarters of the way into a thousand kilometer race. Like the guy is a machine. This was Scott Dixon levels of, of domination. Then we get into a crazy scenario where two guys are trying to save fuel, but can't make it. Everyone else nearly is all right. So you have Fabian Coulthard in one of the Penske uh, Dick Johnson racing Fords going, do you know what? I'm just going to hope there's a safety car because we can't make it anyway. So he belts off. Scott McLaughlin in the Volvo goes, do you know what? I'm going to go the other way and try and desperately save, but he's got Winkup and Gartander up his ass. And then we get the controversial moment, which technically hasn't been resolved yet because there's a bit of a, a shadow lingering over this. We get the moment where Winkup dive bombs up the inside of Scott McLaughlin at the chase, which is the fastest braking zone on the track. They come into it at around 185 miles an hour. Winkup locks the rear tires completely, slides straight into McLaughlin, belts him off across the grass. And then... The, the supercars has this weird rule called the redress rule, whereas if you knock someone off, if you give that position back to them, you can avoid a penalty. Winkup oh decides boy. to try and let McLaughlin back on in front of him, but also keep Garth Tander behind him. Uh-oh. So obviously GT's not, he's like literally Winkup slow to about 90 miles an hour on the racing line. He's going like basically safety car speed as McLaughlin's barreling across the grass at full speed. That Tander was, rightly yeah. gets annoyed and goes, what are you doing? He swerves right to move past him. Just as McLaughlin comes barreling back on at full speed, they wipe each other out in the wall. Winkup looks in his rearview mirrors and goes, well, I'm out of here. And he just drives on thinking he's got away with it until he gets hit with a 15 second time penalty, which effectively, even though he led the final 10 laps on the road, took him out of the race. He finished 11th in the end. So for the third year in a row, a late incident partially of his own doing appears to cost Winkup of the win. Although Red Bull Racing have lodged an appeal they're trying to get the, the penalty undone. I would hate to see the race decided in such a manner in the courtroom a week after, especially given that the two protagonists in the in the victory weren't racing him at the time. It's a bit like it's going back to a football it's, it's Brazil 2003 in Formula 1 all over again. Almost, yeah. And it's a bit like going back to a football match and saying, hey, you know that penalty that we gave to that team on the hour mark? We're going to rescind that now and the other team won. And it's like, well... How can you do that when you can't go back and then play the game differently? 
Because basically exactly. what happened is you had Will Davison saving fuel for all he's worth in the Techno Autosport Holden. Shane Van Gisbergen, who looked to be the second fastest guy all day behind his teammate Winkup, they go toe-to-toe for the win. But of course, they're second and third on the road and they're ignoring Winkup because he's got the penalty. So you've... That they had, and I had, they had an amazing battle. And I'm not going to lie to you, Van Gisbergen is one of my biggest. Is right up there in the stakes of my boys. No he's one shit, of my favorites. Took him in the super draft. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. He is probably. I mean, that was a giveaway for you. He's probably my favorite driver in world motorsport. He's sensational to watch. He shoots the thrill every time. He'd already come back through the field about three times, having been double stacked by uh, Red Bull in the pit stops. Because of course, in V8 supercars, it's like F1. There's only one pit bay. And with V8 Supercars pit stops being a lot longer, Van Gisbergen effectively got fucked over three times under safety car because there's only one lap where they can come into pit. So he's charged back through the field three times. He's all over the back of Davison in the correct stages. Cannot quite do it. Davison pulls off the miracle, the legend drive of the century, to take the win for him and John O'Webb. Just a magnificent race. And I'll tell you what, I would absolutely hate it if this appeal overturns the result because I, I don't see how it can. Like... How can, you know, Will Davison and Van Gisbergen ignored Winkup at the time? How do you then go back and say, oh, actually, he was in play all along and he's won? What? Yeah. It, it does not, like, guys, I mean, Dre, as a, how, me trying to explain that to you, how does that look to you? It sounds like a bit of a mess, even if it was, a, oh, I'm sure it was very captivating at the time, but uh, the, the fact that the grace still kind of has a dark cloud hanging over it with a potential you know, courtroom debate about whether Winkup, you know, should have been penalised or not. That's never a good look. So the the example I made was Brazil 2003. Those guys who don't know what I'm talking about, it was one of the most chaotic Formula 1 races ever. There was five safety cars in the first 53 out of 70 laps at Brazil. Um... The race was shortened. It was it was called to a halt after an enormous accident on the back straight where I think it was Fernando Alonso had yeah. driven into a already I think a Jaguar had crashed. I can't remember I think it may have been Mark Webber that had already crashed it at the top of the hill. And with the wreckage, Alonso swerved out of the way. He's broken a part of his car, he's gone straight into the inside wall, wrecked the tire wall, severely winded himself as a result. The race was red flagged. It was it was called to a halt. Um, it was not restarted, but there was controversy regarding the, when the red flag came out. Because at the time, uh, one lap prior to this incident, Giancarlo Fischer-Keller, sorry, I should say two laps prior to this incident, Giancarlo Fischer-Keller had just passed Kimi Raikkonen for the race lead. Now, the controversy was, well, when exactly did the red flag come out? Because it was literally right when Fischer-Keller was coming over the line to start a new lap. This was important because... They go back to the last completed lap, don't they? No, two completed laps. Two completed laps. Yeah, in Formula 1 at the time, in 2003, if there was a red flag and the race was called a result, you would go back to the, the, the second lap before the red flag had been declared. So... That one lap difference could have been the difference between Fischer Keller finishing first or finishing second, depending on when the red flag came out. Now, at the time, they actually declared that Kimi Raikkonen was the winner of the race um, because they'd gone back one lap too many, basically, and that Raikkonen was given the win. Fischer Keller had to settle for second, and Fernando Alonso had finished third but could not take his spot on the podium because he was currently in the medical centre. So it was it was a very weird situation where none of the men on the podium actually standed in the right position. <laughs> that's I don't think that's ever happened in Formula 1 before where every guy was in the wrong spot 
apart from Alonso, who was not there in like altogether. Um, but it turns out a week later they they ironed it out. It turns out Fisher Keller had started a new lap by about four seconds. So they went back forward an extra lap, and Fisher Keller was given his win, which led to a very cool little ceremony at Imola. Um, a week later where Ron Dennis and Kimi Raikkonen very sportingly give Eddie Jordan and Fisher Killer their rightful winners trophies it was a very nice little gesture there from the McLaren team being good sports about the whole thing <laughs> um, even though they, they kind of got robbed out of a win but um, well it was a very very close decision let's put it that way but yeah like, seeing that with the, with the bar first 1000 that's disappointing because I thought that was the kind of shit that happens like 15 years ago we never and do you know what the it's, there's an irony to that mentioning about it because it, it kind of has has shades of the 1992 Bathurst 1000 where um, it was it was a weird race overall it was the race where Denny Holm sadly suffered a heart attack mid-race and, and passed away and then we had a rainstorm sweep the track and the leading Nissan GTR of Jim Richards and Mark Scaife wipes out everyone thinks local heroes Dick Johnson and John Bow in the Ford have won it except they go they go on countback the Nissans win that's also the famous podium where the Nissans get booed off the podium and Jim Richards calls the crowd a pack of assholes. <laughs> Only in Australia, kids. Um, but yeah, like I really hope, and I mean, I was watching this with a few pretty hardcore, and I was I was watching this actually with a pretty hardcore Jamie Winkup fan, and we were not sure about the length of the penalty. Like Winkup has two things to consider here: the penalty came for the avoidable contact with McLaughlin, and if you watch it, he's completely on the lock stops. He slides straight into McLaughlin. There's, he's out of control. He's not under control. He's gone in way too hard with the move. It's fair. They're arguing that the penalty for that sort of contact is not a time penalty normally. But if you take that out of the occasion, you also have to take into account the the case to answer for the redressing, which is, and there's a there's a part in that rule which says you can't impede other race cars on the racing line. That's exactly what he did with Garth Tander. He, he, you could tell he was going, no, 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 Scotty, you get back on. Garth, you stay there. I'm not going to lose a position letting this guy back on for my mistake. And Tander's obviously going, what's this guy doing? He's, it's not my fault that he's punted this guy off and now he's trying to put him back on. So... It's a messy scenario, as I say. I hope it doesn't change the result. Uh, you know, as far as Will Davison and John O'Webb are concerned, they've been on national news this week, obviously, as the winners. They're saying, you know what? The trophy's home and back in our garage now. We're the, we are the winners. And I hope that's the case. I just hope that, you know, what comes out of it is maybe the rule makers go, yeah, we need to look at this rule. Like, I hope that no actual result changes out of this because it would tarnish what has been... I mean, 2014, for me, was possibly the greatest motor race of this decade anywhere. Like, it's, it's one of the greatest motor races I've ever seen. Right. The second half of this year's one got fairly close. It was that good. And I'd hate for it to be soured in that sort of way. Like, you go back and watch the tapes of it in years to come and go, what an amazing race that was. Except the real winner was decided a week later in court. Like, yeah. It's not yeah, a good taste, really. I, I think this will just prove how, oh, how inappropriate the redress rule can be at times. <laughs> yeah. It's a messy rule, you know what I mean? Like, Rick Kelly got pinged for it earlier in the race because... The, the team were trying to radio to let him know that he needed to redress the position, but his radio was dead. So he ended up picking up a drive-thru and it's like, well, what was he supposed to do? Like they, they were trying to spell out redress on the pit board. And they, had no le- they were like trying to find, like scri- scribble the letter R, E. They're like, what are we supposed to do? We can't tell him his radio's broken. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah, that does seem kind of messy. But uh, yeah, I mean... Yeah, so Johnson, he really, he really liked the the Bar First One Thousand. You guys, in case you didn't know already, you know, just <laughs> just follow up on that. King, didn't you watch it as well? <laughs> yes, I watched it as well. Oh, it's probably the only supercars race I watch every year. Probably that and Surfers Paradise. Oh, the Gold Coast Six Hundred. That's an amazing race every year as well. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. what that's coming up next week or two weeks time. 
Yeah, that'd be fun. That's so, the yeah. one where they used to have a rule where the co-driver for the Enduros had to be an international driver. Yeah. So you ended up like having like an international all-stars lineup. Like in 2011, I remember like you had Sebastian Bourdais, Darren Turner, um, Yvonne Muller. I think Will Power went down there. You had a bunch of IndyCar drivers down there. Famously, well, infamously, I guess, the 2011 running, they paid a big tribute to Dan Weldon because he was due to race there. But it literally, I think the race was like a week after Las Vegas. So I think Darren Turner stepped in but they left Dan Weldon's name on the car that he was going to co-drive, which I thought was a really nice touch. Mm. Very much so. But um, yeah, yeah. Buffer's Buffer's was good, you guys. Like, again, I can't relate to this stuff, you know. So <laughs> I, I just sit here and just listen to everybody else talk about how cool it was and I can relate it back to some real-world issues. That's what I do on this show. I, <laughs> I, 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 now, we I, appreciate you ain't, a, you ain't a touring car guy. That's cool. Yeah, I just get fucking abused for it every single week. Like, Drew, why didn't you watch British Touring Car Championship? I get this. And I cringe about that because it's like, you know, the, every you, know the, <laughs> you know the worst way to try and get Dre to watch something is to nag him to watch something. Yes. like It's like being that guy on a night out when someone goes, oh, I'm not drinking much tonight. And you go, oh, pussy, do this shot. No. That's not the way to get someone yeah. to drink, you guys. Like exactly. what? How, how how did Dre and IndyCar basically, a bunch of people just like kept forwarding highlight videos? <laughs> I, I gave in. Like, honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm getting too old for this. Luckily, with IndyCar, it actually worked out quite nicely, but... <laughs> yeah, like... Because IndyCar's that good. Yeah, IndyCar's that good. I would say, like, BTCC is pretty good, but I wouldn't say it's IndyCar good. No, I mean, it's touring Don't car racing. Don't say it's that a different... in front of our certain listenership. They'll kill you for this, King. No, well, you know what? Like, touring car racing is a different kind of racing to open wheel. Like, you can't... There's certain amounts you can compare to it, and then you can't. You know what I mean? It's like trying to compare NASCAR and IndyCar. Bring back Nigel Mansell. No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. So I'm just saying, we have we have a Skype group of, 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 of certain certain close friends that are all mad touring car fans. I like. I'm just saying, be be very careful who you piss off here, King. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. It's all right, guys. I'm, I'm I'll just fly saying the flag. we, we don't cool. have touring cars in America. <laughs> No, now you've got that you Pirelli World Challenge class, haven't you? Oh yeah, it's a subclass of the World Challenge. Mm. Yay, I guess. It's not, so- it's not. It's not really touring cars when you have to worry about GT cars destroying your race. <laughs> yeah, be a bit like can a I British do, touring cars yeah. combined with British GT. Can I, can I, can I do my keeping it one on one now? Is, is that all right, you guys? Yeah, yes. you may. Yeah, I, yeah. I need to. Yeah. I need to get my breath back. Awesome, awesome. Um, I, I kind of got two this week, actually. Amazingly, two things I kind of want to talk about briefly. One, Forza Horizon Three came out last week, and it is fucking fantastic. Um, oh yeah. Just, just thought I'd point that out. It's, 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 it's bloody marvelous. Um, um it, it like there's, there's. There's too much Australian in it for my liking, <laughs> really, because I'm, I'm going to end up adopting the Aussie accent again like I did in high school, and it's not going to be pretty for me or my my dulcet tones on this on this show. But, uh, that, like, the, the casting is great. The cars are amazing. They, like, they, they keep finding ways to make Horizon bigger and better every year, and, it like, this one is incredible again. Like, the, the Aussie landscape is a beautiful thing, going from you know, from surface paradise over by the beaches over to the outback um, to Byron Bay down by the coast. I mean, apparently um, most of the game is set in Queensland, which makes a lot of sense, according to friend of the show, Emily De Silva, that used to edit some of our videos over there. She said, yeah, the most, yeah, that, that's pretty much all just Queensland, pretty much. Um, <laughs> so, this, you know, that's that for, um, for those guys who don't know already, but uh, it's an incredible freaking game. I highly recommend you guys go out and pick it up. If you've if you got, you got an Xbox One and you haven't got Horizon, what is wrong with you? Uh, <laughs> it's an absolute must-own for the console. Then oh, yeah. There may or may not be a future Dreview coming on that from a certain American chum 
soon, maybe. We'll have to uh, dust off your capture card, King. Uh, Damn it. <laughs> I still haven't picked up a copy of it yet. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> What's taking you so long, King? I was going to get it, but then it was a new book I wanted to get. A, a, a book. You gave up you- Horizon for a book. King. Yes. King. Adam, tell your man. <laughs> <laughs> I can't talk. I I spent the money I would have spent on it on NASCAR Heat Evolution. I'm surrounded by idiots. <laughs> the motto of this podcast. <laughs> that, like, King, King, King getting books instead of getting really, really awesome video games and Johnson buys a NASCAR game that basically, basically looks like an iOS port from 2008. I see, how, <laughs> I, I see how this is. <laughs> you haven't seen my Drave View yet. Yes, I am doing a Drave View on it. Yes, it'll, it'll be out sometime in December, knowing Johnson's tendency to edit videos. <laughs> December 2021. <laughs> I, I, I never said what year. <laughs> but uh, that, for the best. That, that's something I wanted to talk about. And two, I'm being that reality TV show guy again, because I want to talk a little bit more about James Hinchcliffe on Dancing with the Stars. Oh my God, yes. He was so amazing last night. I sound like such a fangirl saying this, <laughs> but uh, he was incredible last night. Got freaking 29 out of 30 from the judges. Um, he did he did a tango. It was a beautiful tango. It was in tribute, like part of telling the story of his um of his awful accident last year in Indianapolis, where he slammed into the wall at two hundred and twenty four miles an hour. And you know, the, like telling some of the story of that back on TV was actually very very emotional to to watch. Like like his his, his trauma surgeon was was there and basically said the odds of him surviving that kind of accident normally is zero. Um, like he flatlined on the way to the operating theater. Um, James himself said that you know the bleeding was at one point so big he could put his entire fist in the hole to try and stop the bleeding. Oh. That's that's how bad it was. And apparently, the first thing he said when he woke up in the morning after the after the operation to basically save his life, he looked to his mother and said, um, "Mum, I'm so sorry. I'm not an accountant." <laughs> The most hinch thing possible to say. <laughs> like, you've ju- he's just woken up from life-threatening surgery, and the first thing he says he jokes about not being an accountant. <laughs> James Hinchcliffe, everybody. Uh, and, and the second question he said was, when can I get back in the car? <laughs> and he, he said he, he, wanted, he wanted to get back in the car by the end of the year, and he did. And he came, and the next thing you know, 18 months later, the man is fucking ballroom dancing on national television and crushing it. What a dude. Um, James Hinchcliffe is the fucking man. I've said it time and time again. He is incredible. Um, he's doing an incredible job. And I, again, like I'm not being too sassy, but Laurie Hernandez should not be in the damn competition. And I want Hinchcliffe to win this thing so goddamn much. It's incredible. I want this to like, win this, this so like bad. the third week in a row you said Laurie Hernandez should not be up dancing with the stars. I love her as well. I think, she's a, I think she's amazing. She's an incredible athlete, a really nice girl, but she should not be there. Like, we she, get, like she's overqualified. She's overqualified. Honestly, like King, for all it's worth, we have the British version of his Strictly Come Dancing, and I say this every year. There's always at least one person on there that's probably gone to stage school and is probably overqualified for it. It happens every year. There's always like some musician or or, or someone that used to be a part of a boy band or a girl band that already had dancing lessons at some point and they're probably just straight up overqualified. I say this every time. <laughs> I, 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 that's my story, King, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> 
But um, also, breaking news story. I just got this from Slack from Sarah Connors, said friend of the show. Um, NTT Tater has announced it's returning to Chip Ganassi Racing next year. So Kanan looks like he's pretty much set to stay. So, okay. Uh, that's that. That's big news. NTT is staying. Well, good to know Vin Diesel still has a job in between Fast and Furious films. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yes, he does. Brazilian Vin Diesel is, is, is alive and well. So you have NTT sticking around with Chip Ganassi Racing for at least another year. So TK seemingly safe in the number 10 car at Chip Ganassi. More on IndyCar later. But, yeah, let's get into the meat and potatoes wait, of the week. Wait. Whoop, whoop. I think game? there's one thing that isn't our set list that I think we should squeeze in. Go on. The trailer that dropped for the Grand Tour. Oh, God, that was amazing. <laughs> what, what a trailer. I mean, it's hilarious in that it basically was a Top Gear trailer. It was. Yeah. <laughs> it basically was like, it was like watching, like, Peak Series 13, 14, 15, um, you know, Top Gear, where it was just... Just the three of them just being Muppets, and that's you know, that's all it that's all it took to sold me on this. Pretty much, it was like you know what sold. They got the the tent looks amazing for what it's worth. Like, that, how, like how is that a tent? It's like it's a full TV studio. It basically is, and yeah. a tent because every episode's gonna be a flyaway episode. Yeah, that's incredible. Because I mean, they're they're in. I think was it Johannesburg um, for the first episode. Then then they got. I think they confirmed today that they're doing Finland and Rotterdam at some point now. Yeah. Uh, stages on the Grand Tour as well. So, yeah, there's going to be there's two episodes. They're going all over the place already. The budget is incredible. Um, again, I highly, I think uh, it was Johnson that talked about this last week or the week before, but I highly recommend looking at Jalopnik.com because I think one of their writers wrote a really cool story about actually going to, going to one of the filming days for the Grand Tour. Um, and what the experience there was like, and it may just paint certain presenters in a, sel- in a slightly better light than you may think. Um, so if you haven't seen that already, go look it up on Jalopnik. Just search the Grand Tour, and I'm sure you'll find it on there. But yeah, there's a really great They're article like spoilers, about Spoilers, it's Clarkson's. Yeah, shut up. King! You'd be a great marketing guy, wouldn't you? You're like, oh, like, like, oh, who would be the terrible person of the three that you would think is terrible in real life? Well, clearly Hammond. Yeah, <laughs> clearly Hammond. He's angry and short. I mean, it's, it's, it's basically asking for it at this point. Pretty much. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that's just about everything. I mean, the Grand Tour trailer, yeah, was amazing. Can't wait for November 18th. It's going to be awesome. Um, all the way through to Christmas. We're going to have Top Gear every, like, Top Gear basically rebooted and on the internet with, like, zero restrictions. It's going to be fire. Yeah, I, I got I to steal Amazon Prime from somebody. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm nicking my parents' account. <laughs> I, have, I have a 30-day free trial card sitting on my desk ready to go for November Oh, 18. you're ready to deploy that? Yes. I, like It's, it's going to be funny, eventually because we're going to have basically old new Top Gear on Amazon Prime and new new Top Gear that's kind of not Top Gear at all anymore. It's going to be more like Chris Harris on Cars with a few more presenters yeah. so, on so the BBC. It, so new, new, Fire. new Top Gear. It's like they've swapped around. Chris Harris used to be the car guy on the internet. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, Chris Harris used to be the guy on the internet, power sliding cars. Now he's the guy on the BBC with a couple of mates. Yeah, and now <laughs> Top Gear used to be the guys on the BBC. Now they're the ones on the internet. I went on the internet and I power slid this. Yes, pretty much. <laughs> and it's funny how this all thing just turns out in the end, really, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yep. but uh, we've already spent half an hour talking. Keep anyone one. This like just like I predicted on Slack earlier this week. I, like, see, I'm so clever. But let's talk. Let's get into the meat and potatoes and let's talk about the Japanese Grand Prix.
get into the, the inevitable Japanese Grand Prix. And uh, King, after a pretty solid Singapore race and, you know, Malaysia being captivating pretty much for all the wrong reasons, we're right back on form again, a ball fest. <laughs> <laughs> Not the King cares. Uh, yeah, yeah, like... I was the only reason I'm I was okay with it being a boar fest because I had something to watch in the meantime. <laughs> yes, yes, we had other races going on and other races to, to anticipate later on in the day, which we'll get to later on in the show with Formula Yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty sure the most eventful thing of that weekend happened bef- well before the race. It happened on Thursday, and we'll get to that later. But uh, oh god! But uh, yeah, I mean, let's talk about the race itself briefly. Nico Rosberg taking a very comfortable victory up the front. No real pressure from him throughout the race after, you know, a flawless turn one. Whereas teammate Lewis Hamilton didn't. Like, how much was King whooping and hollering about 30 seconds <laughs> after the race had started? <laughs> I don't know. I To me, it was kind of, like, expected at this point. Hamilton having bad starts is kind of par for the course. But like It's almost like Jeff Gordon having bad restarts a few series, seasons ago. Yeah. <laughs> And I think, like, uh, Autosport ran an article Monday morning saying that, like, the team has been very concerned about his start. Like, they were concerned about that starts would be an issue for the entire season. But, like, Rosberg got the hang of it quicker and Lewis just didn't to the point where they had um, the parent company, Daimler. They, they, I mean, yeah, Daimler and, you know, Mercedes, the company as a whole, redesigned Lewis Hamilton's glove so he could have, you know, better control of the clutch. And that also hasn't seemed to work. <laughs> So in other words, is this a lot like what we're talking about maybe at Baku, where Rosberg and Hamilton had similar engine control problems on the steering wheel and Rosberg figured that out quicker and Hamilton very publicly suffered throughout as a result? Is that maybe yeah. an edge in the Rosberg department here? <laughs> yeah, like again, it's the same usual, yeah, Rosberg's more, you know, technically competent than Hamilton is. <laughs> He's our boy from Stevenage, King. You know, he, he knows what's up. He's hot wired some cars, right? <laughs> oh my god! No, <laughs> no, no, he hasn't. No, yeah, no. Uh, too busy knocking motherfuckers out with his karate lessons we talked about in the in the in the post race Q and A. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's it. Rosberg very comfortable win. Hamilton once again another poor start, and you know, I have to talk about this briefly because. Like I woke up, I had a quick, I had a power nap after the race stopped before I had to go out to work. And I woke up and I saw Twitter just throwing more scorn on Nico Rosberg for just doing his job properly and seeing things like... Why is this still a thing? Like like, like Hamilton's been so unlucky all season long. And I'm like, people, a bad start is not bad luck. Like how many times, like did did we say it was bad luck when Nico Rosberg spun the clutch up in his home round in Germany and effectively cost himself the win 400 (laughs) meters after the race started? No. No, they just said Rosberg was a bad driver. (laughs) They were called him a fucking choke artist. Yeah. (laughs) No, 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 no. So, so, see, this is this is exactly the point I was talking about with, with Hamilton and Rosberg years ago. Like I said, we use Rosberg as a victim of circumstance because most of the F1 internet, internet internet space and Twitterverse seems to think that, you know, or has the opinion that Hamilton is better than Rosberg. When Hamilton has a problem, it's championship defining. And if Rosberg has one, it's by the form book. And, you know, 
I, I, I got tweets after the Grand Prix saying, are you saying that, you know, are you saying that Hamilton was lucky last year because he won by more than 50 points? No, but what I am saying is that Rosberg was denied even a shot at the title because he had back-to-back retirements in Italy and Singapore. Um, no, sorry, Italy and Russia, I should say. Sorry. Um, yeah, he had- yeah, and 50 points was still a bit inflated to what it actually was. <laughs> yeah, exactly, because Rosberg was probably going to finish third in Monza, maybe second, even so. Uh, I, remember, I remember he was chasing down Sebastian Vettel towards the end of that race, but then his engine gave out, and... Again, did anybody say Rosberg was unlucky at that point? No, they were too busy celebrating Hamilton's victory in his new blonde hair. Like, like, no, like you can't, you, you can't have your cake and eat it on this one, folks. Okay, like we, I said this before. Like, this is Rosberg's what tenth win of the season now. I think he's won ten this year now. Yeah. At which point do we start giving him credit? I'm giving. I'd, him I would have to say like now because what he's magic number is twenty eight now. If Look, and I started 30, giving him credit the moment he officially up. became the, the winningest driver in F1 history, never to be world champion. Nah. Although the without a world champion spot may be very brief the way this season is going now. I mean, thinking about it like this, he's 33 points up with four to play. It's 100 out, points on the table. It's out of Hamilton's hands Yeah, 100 hands points now. on the table, but if he, it's a 28-point bleed. It's a 28-point bleed. That means if he finishes second for the rest of the season to Hamilton winning, he'll still be world champion. Exactly. It's it, That's why I say it's out of Hamilton's hands now. Hamilton can win the last four rounds and still not win the championship. It's out of his hands. So basically at this point, Hamilton now needs help to win the title. Um, he can, he can no longer do it on his own. And like from a bookie standpoint, this is kind of funny because two rounds ago, Lewis Hamilton was one to five to win the championship with Rosberg being three to two. Do you want to know what the odds are now? They're the exact opposite. Nico Rosberg <laughs> is one to five to win the world title, and Lewis Hamilton is now seven to two. So, oh my goodness! Yeah, so like they've like it's amazing a two race swing just like that, and now the bookies are saying it's just about done here. That uh, you know they bring like so. I have to ask King. I asked you this after Singapore. You're starting to believe. He's like, you're like, no. You're 33 up with four to play. Are you starting to believe now? <laughs> uh, I'm starting to believe, but I, oh, I, I would. It's like a, it's like he's dare. He, he doesn't want to dare to believe. Yeah, I, I don't want to dare to believe. Like <laughs> I will, I'll be a hundred percent confident to completely back Rosberg for the championship after Circuit of the Americas. If he wins at Cota, I think it's over. I really do. Yeah, oh, yeah it has to be. I, I, well, at this point in time, I think surely hasn't this championship battle, as if we didn't know already, proven just how closely matched these two are, that literally, if one makes the mistake, the other wins. Like, yeah. I mean, normally in previous years, how many times we talked about this, King? Rosberg has almost lost the title on his worst days. Like, Hamilton's been able to pull a good result out even when he's had a stinker. This year, he's not been able to do that as much, and Rosberg has fully capitalised. Whenever Hamilton's made a mistake, Rosberg's pounced. Singapore possibly being the most crucial when he came close to losing it. And Malaysia. Had pressure on him. And Malaysia. Oh, yeah, Malaysia pounced straight away. You know, in previous years, Rosberg's had other mechanical issues. I, I think back to Singapore in 2015. Both the Mercs were off the pace, and yet Rosberg just did not capitalise on Hamilton having an early DNF in that one. But this fourth. year, he's been, he's been so much better at that. He's been a lot yeah. more ruthless this year. I have a feeling that Rosberg has been, he's I, been I a lot more... I wouldn't say that he's more ruthless. I, I would just agree. say... I would say... But not in terms of mentality, I don't think. He's just been better at capitalising. Yeah, he's I been mean, better, better at capitalising because any time either car and he's, has... he's been slightly more aggressive at certain overtakes when he knows there's a lot on the line. 
You know, he's made them happen. You know, he's not been like Verstappen levels of aggressive and we don't really want him to be. Yeah. But do you know what I mean? Like, there's been a little bit more of a steal to his racing this year. And I like, think I, it's- I think it's down to more when the car is having problems because when there's technical difficulties and you could still finish, Lewis is more... He, he's more squeamish than that. He's, he's more... Panicky. He gets panicky. Yeah, he's, he's panicky. He's more sort of seat-of-the-pants driver, isn't he? Yeah. Like, if, if the car's bulletproof, Hamilton will win nine times out of ten. But it being Formula One, I mean, it being motorsport, the car is never going to be bulletproof. No. Nope. And Mercs have always left chinks in the armor in terms of reliability. Canada 2014, you know, it wasn't a prime example. Singapore last season where they shredded their own tires. Um, there's, I'm sure there's like again there's multiple examples of that as well over the time Merckx is far from flawless we saw it just a round ago I mean and that might be the critical round of this championship Hamilton was it was leading that race Rosberg was probably going to finish in fourth if Hamilton survives so instead of you know Hamilton being plus 13 for the round he's minus 15 that is a 28 point swing on that one round in Malaysia if you go by you know fairly conservative assumptions there i mean shout out to luke julian that's always that runs calculations after races and he told me that you know most of the time he's run the numbers rosberg would have finished in second before giving me the kermit face emoji so <laughs> he is he is a hamilton fan i just thought i'd I just thought I'd casually point that one out but no. in, in, in in any case i mean this is a 10 win season for rosberg now like this is when Lewis Hamilton won his second title, he won 11 Grand Prix that year. Rosberg, like, when, like, when Rosberg won five that year. Last season, Hamilton won 10 races, became the first guy ever to, to have 10 win back-to-back seasons. Rosberg only won six. This year, Rosberg has won 10 Grand Prix. 10. And, he, and again, he had that four-race winning streak to start of the year. And you know, he's he's won four out of the last five this like so far. And that other one he didn't win was a superb comeback to finish in third. Like Rosberg is elite in my opinion. Like I like 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 if if you're criticizing Rosberg now for this run of form, just admit to yourself now you're probably never gonna be convinced by his ability because yeah. this is this has been an incredible run from Nico Rosberg. And you know what? There's nothing that any Hamilton fan can say on this one, because you know what, in this this weekend in Japan. Rosberg beat Hamilton pillar to post, fair and square. There was there's abs- qualifying, qualifying, everything. and the race and the race win. You know he made the better start that we've often condemned Rosberg for, and he made it pay. Like and that's what that's what a champion does. So for me, I don't see like if you're a ham fan, you just got to take your hat off and smell the coffee on this one. Yeah, sure, Hamilton's been unlucky on occasions, but nobody was saying this shit about Rosberg last year. Yeah, so no. for me, I, I, that doesn't hold water for me because people have double standards over this shit. So for me, I think Rosberg, win or lose, he's been incredible this season. Even if the worst happens and he doesn't win the title this year, he's made a superb effort of it. And this has been by a mile this season. If he doesn't win the title this year, it it almost won't be his fault. It won't be through lack of trying, will it? No, because one more race win and it's for all intents and purposes over. And if somehow he doesn't win it at this point, something terrible has to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it would have to be like the middle of the season where Hamilton had that 62 point swing over the seven races between but even that was seven races, that wasn't was it? That was seven races. And yeah, it, it was... That's the one thing that Hamilton fans have been drawing on since since, since this, this this incredible run of form for Rosberg is that Hamilton was able to reel him in very quickly when he was plus 42 after the opening five rounds. Um, 
So who knows what's going to happen where that's concerned, but Rosberg is doing everything right right now. And, you know, I really do hope he puts it all together and gets the title he so he so deserves because, boy, that would be a great big middle finger to, one, the entire concept of number two drivers we've often labelled in Formula One teams <laughs> of like the Felipe Masses and the Mark Webbers of the world that missed out. And, you know... And he'd only be the second man to ever actually beat Lewis Hamilton head to head over a season. Jensen Button is the only other man to do it. And that was in 2011. And that was yeah. the year where Hamilton had a mental breakdown halfway through the year, essentially. <laughs> but uh, he's the only man to have beaten Hamilton head to head over a season. If Nico Rosberg could pull that one off on arguably the greatest driver of this generation, you know, that would be huge for Rosberg's career. He'd be putting him straight into like the top 15, 20 drivers of all time of a world title. Yeah, um, and you know, like other trivia, he'd be the second son of a world champion to be a world champion himself yes alongside the hill family yeah yeah exactly yeah that would be another really cool one as well so yeah nico rosberg we salute you sir tremendous job keep it going um in the meantime props to mercs they got hamilton back into play with with, with some good speed and some good strategy hamilton eventually finishing third more about that in a minute but also we're humble here on this show congratulations to mercedes on winning their third straight constructors title Moving on. Uh, no, <laughs> um, I just love the fact they made a big deal out of it. Like they were the baby fists. Like, yeah, it's amazing. And I'm like, yeah, fair enough. But for the rest of us, like no one gives no a one's shit. No one's surprised. Yeah. Well, no one was surprised. No. no yeah. Like, uh, I mean, the, the, cha- the construction championship is so uneven that it's basically like a bragging rights contest between car manufacturers. Yeah. Pretty much. It's pretty much. It's, it's, it's almost like a, a, a it's like a, Oh, I'm not going to use that term. Um, yeah, yeah, I avoided using that term. Yeah, it's 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 not something. It's something that's. Uh, it's like let's say it's like a certain appendage, um, but it's 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 hard to describe because let's be real here. We know Mercs have completely dominated the last three seasons now, and I mean, fun fact, they have won 86 percent of the Grand Prix since this hybrid era began. 86 percent over the last. Three seasons, oh so that's uh, that's I think that's fifty-five hybrid era races, and they have won forty-seven of them um, since twenty fourteen began. That is an incredible run of dominance, no matter which way you look at it. And now we're not criticizing Mercs for doing their jobs properly; they're doing an incredible job, and they obviously they deserve all the praise in the world for creating one of the greatest cars F one has ever seen. Yeah, um, don't it, hate the player, hate the poorly designed game. Hate the poorly designed game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, the game is broken here, kids. I'm sorry, no matter where you like it. And shout out to everybody on Twitter that said, I called Mercs the greatest team ever in F1 because I don't like, I don't think any team has dominated three straight years like this, like on this kind of level. I think, to level. be honest with you, if there has been this sort of level, King's going to have to go back into the history books for it. Yeah. King? It'd or, probably or, or, be another Mercedes era. Like, let's be honest. Maybe, like, like, maybe, like, maybe the 50s with the Fangio Sterling Moss era, maybe? Yeah, it'd probably the 50s because the other Mercedes era, they actually had competition. One comp, one other competitor, but they had some competition. Yeah, like, I remember people said to me, oh, Dre, well, what about, you know, what about Ferrari? People don't realize, like, McLaren and Williams had regular wins during the early 2000s as well. Only maybe... Like, the only season I can remember Ferrari literally cleaning house was, I think, 2004, where they'd, like, regularly lap up to third place in races. 2002 and I think 2004 were the two really... 2004, that was it. The two really dominant... Because that's Chris Cooker shown on his YouTube channel. 2003 was actually pretty competitive. Yeah, 2003, any one of three teams could have won the Constructors' title on the final day 
So yeah. Ferrari, Williams, or McLaren, Mercedes could have won the constructors and the drivers' title on the final day, and you know Kimi Räikkönen very nearly did win the title in 2003. People forget that one as well. But uh, 2003, no Ferrari were pushed. 2001, they were pushed quite hard as well. Um, 2000 didn't have it all their own way either. So you know, there's like. Ferrari, that era is kind of like mythically overrated, a bit like the Red Bull era of 2010 to 13, where only really like maybe one and a half at most seasons Red Bull was was super dominant. Like I said it before, like 2011 was the only year where Red Bull had the best car right out of the box. Like 2013 was super competitive until the second half of the year, after Hamilton won in Hungary and then Vettel won nine straight to close the year. And I think Vettel was only really series the championship leader because he was consistent and everybody else really kind of wasn't. But yeah, I mean, Merck's King, your boys done an incredible job, but uh, it's it's not as something to get excited about really, is it? From from a fan standpoint. <laughs> yeah. Like this this should this should really be the point where we're like Anytime any team wins three constructors championship in a row, there should be a real conversation about parody. Yeah, like, you know, is this the time where you break out the balance of performance clause again here? Because we all saw it. Ferrari won six six straight constructors championships between ninety nine and two thousand and four, and then Bernie was like, Sod it, we're changing the rules. Um and you know, We're gonna nerf this thing. Yeah, and crippled Ferrari for a year. They came back in oh six, but obviously it, it gave birth to the rise of Fernando Alonso essentially. You know, it's yeah. I it, mean, uh, like it's, it's in difficult. the late '80s, like things evened itself out because McLaren won three in a row. But then Williams found out the active suspension thing, so yes. they, then they dominated themselves. It's a little bit like what happened in '09. Braun got the the blown diffuser thing working straight away, and then by 2010, everyone else had figured it out. Braun got absolved into Mercedes, and then we sort of ended up on quite a level playing field. It also, isn't it, like, I think RJ pointed this out in our Slack chat a couple of days, isn't it amazing that Mercedes became the juggernaut it did after booting that one of the most revered and beloved team owners or team bosses in F1 history? And Ross Braun, yeah. yeah they booted, I, they Ross, Braun Ross Braun was... Like, I like Ross Braun, but Ross Braun... It, Mercedes figured out that one person can't be a team principal anymore. It's just not effective anymore. Where Total Wolf doesn't have to worry about how the car works on their technical side. You have Patty Lowe to worry about that. And I think it was Ross Braun trying to win in the way that he's won before at, you know, Braun and Ferrari. And it it just didn't work for the current era F, of F1. Mm-hmm. And before Nor- Norbert Hogg retired, he was like, okay, I'm going to appoint my successor and it's going to be Toto Wolf. And we're all going to agree with that, right, guys? Like, no, 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 no. We, want, we want Paddy in there too. Okay, we'll put Paddy in. Fine. Well, well, well like, uh, besides his role as, uh, you know, sporting director at Mercedes F1 team, he also heads up their DTM program and all their other programs. Stop. He's literally like the grand doyen of their motorsport program. Yeah. It's not a bad gig. <laughs> the, grand, the grand wizard of Mercedes. Yes, he's not, it's not a bad gig at all, really. But yeah, as we said, congrats to Mercs. You know, they are, they are just still holding the sport under a reign of terror. And, you know, <laughs> I, I would say long may it continue, but I'd be lying to myself here disgustingly if I said that. So no, fuck it. Come yeah, on, Ferrari. I, get, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say this compares to the actual reign of terror or Triple H's reign of terror at all. <laughs> <laughs> because there's a, there's a lot less racism let's be real oh, yeah. oh god <laughs> just gonna leave that one there 
So congrats to Merck's first constructors title in a row. Um, like Hamilton's race in there in the middle of it was kind of negatively affected by his inability to pass Max Verstappen and uh, King. Verstappen's in the headline for, headlines for more defensive driving again, although this time I think he was just about okay on this one. Just about fair enough. Yeah, I, th- I think it was more of his reputation getting ahead of what actually happened out there. And, you know, Lewis basically, like, just blowing a gasket over the radio and then on Twitter, which he quickly tried to, you know, step back Did he back do the on. old tweet and delete? I missed Hamilton's tweet. What did he actually say on Twitter regarding the incident? Oh, God, I, I missed it, too. I just heard from I, other Because I, I don't follow Lewis Hamilton on Twitter, so... Uh, I know he deleted it, though. Like, I... Ah, uh, he did the tweet and delete. Yeah. And, he, and he, then he went and said he didn't, he didn't ask for Mercedes to, you know, get a pet, like, appeal for staffing for a penalty. Like, he said it wasn't his thing to do, and then later on, Mercedes appealed, like, removed their appeal themselves. You know what's funny about this? One of the people that was endorsing Max Verstappen's driving was Lewis Hamilton. Calling yeah. him, he, yeah. he called him a proper racer, and now that he's the victim, he wants to he wants to throw Verstappen under the bus. Piss off, Hamilton! You <laughs> you you made your bed, now lay in it. Okay, like you you endorsed his driving ability, and then you want to turn your back in in the moment you're the victim. Nah, B, it can't be this. Like like. Like, like, King, tell your man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> tell your man to settle down, okay? <laughs> you know what? Hamilton's... Ham- okay, maybe he's just had a really bad weekend and he, he, took, he took his frustration out on Twitter like many have done in the past and he blew a gasket. Like, like I, I'm going to give Hamilton the benefit of the doubt on this one. Um, but, oh dear, like, like you can't be doing the tweet and delete. Like, it's it's such a bad look. <laughs> like, it's... it's and it's quite funny because he came across quite respectful afterwards when he was like, oh, well, Mercedes went to lodge a protest, but I said, that's not what champions do. We go on again. And I'm like, well, okay, fair enough. Bollocks. But- bollocks. <laughs> that, that's total bollocks. He yeah, tried the, to, yeah, he tried the to thing- throw Rosberg under the bus after Hungary in the double, ye- double wave of yellows. He ran yeah, to the FIA. The thing is, I believe that, but the problem is he's done that before. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I'm sure he was... It's the be- boy who cried wolf, sure. I'm sure he was being sincere, but I'm sorry. It's, it, that's I, I find that hard to believe when you've already tried to throw your own teammate under the bus for a questionable rule that he was allowed to break. No, I'm sorry. Like, Ham- Hamilton, you can't, you can't do this. You can't claim you're that guy when you've already done things that basically make you look like a hypocrite. You can't do it. It's, it's, it's a terrible look. So, no. Lewis... Uh, no, not on this one. And speaking of which... <laughs> oh, God. Arguably, the biggest talking point of the weekend was nothing to do with what happened on the racetrack. It happened on Thursday. Press conference day in, in Formula One circles. And uh, Hey, everyone wanted press conferences to be more entertaining. You got your wish. Yeah, be careful what you wish for, fans. But um, Lewis Hamilton was in the middle of a press conference and he whips out his phone and starts Snapchatting people. You know, he, he takes a couple of pictures of Carlos Sainz in the bunny ears filter. Very fetching, I must say. And, uh, you know, he's taking photos of the press and he's he's, he's, he's putting his camera on. Like, like it's like, I think, he, I think he said this shit is boring or something like that on, as, as, a, as a quote on Snapchat. And I think at one point he was talking about how boring it was while using a picture of his engineer 
or some guy in a Mercedes shirt <laughs> talking about how boring this whole thing was. And, of course, after this, the media got pissed. Um, disrespect. Yeah, like you know, the, the, you know, the Hamilton's antics during the press conference was disrespectful. And... Yeah, it, it, it gets spilled over onto Saturday because after qualifying, uh, where Hamilton qualified in second, um, just um, 0.013 of a second behind Rosberg, he refused um, to appear for the Saturday um, post-quaddy conference because he felt that, you know, the British media's writing about him for his snap was disrespectful. So, of course, Hamilton did not show up to the press conference there. He released just a, a brief statement and then he was on his way back to the garage. Um, so for the second race in a row, Hamilton has boycotted the media on something. Um, like, you know, that's way too, that's, 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 that's really going to, uh, you know, give Fleet Street all the smiles in the world. But, um, this was, a lot of people have had a lot to say on this, including yours truly, uh, on, on this here YouTube channel. An entire Dre brief. An entire Dre brief. Like, I actually, I had, I had a, I had a script ready to go, I scrapped it all at the last minute and did an entire episode from scratch in three hours. I was that amped up about it that I just basically thought, fuck it, we're doing, we're doing a totally different episode and we're doing it right now. Um, so there's a little bit of a behind the scenes for you. But, um, it's like I'm not sure where to start on this one personally, but for me, I didn't have a problem with what Hamilton did during the presser. Like I am just not wired that way to have a go at someone having a bit of a fun during having a bit of a joke and a laugh during a press conference. King, you see it slightly differently than I yeah. do. I see it slightly differently because press conferences are not for entertainment purposes, as despite what a lot of people like to believe. They're yeah, but my question... Sorry, go on. Yeah, finish your they're, point. They're information gathering sessions. But why are they televised then? Because we, the fans, demanded they be televised. Yeah, fucking for idiots. transparency. <laughs> because like even before they are televised, the FIA always releases full transcripts of what's been said there like I've, I've never watched a press conference i always read the transcript because never. i could just search i could just search through for what i want to you know read about and also with that as well when you really when you read the transcript they're not going to be twisted like the media will inevitably end up doing when they publish their takeaways from whatever happens during a press conference so, yeah, and the reason why I feel like what Lewis did was disrespectful because you wouldn't do that if you were in a setting like that. If you were in like uh, a group meeting with your peers and your boss, you wouldn't, you know, take out your phone and start Snapchatting. But this like, wasn't a group meeting with his bosses and his, or, or his or his like, colleagues. It wasn't. It was it was a media gathering, you know. Which is pretty much the same thing. No, That's it like, isn't. Yes, it is. It's a no, press it's conference. <laughs> like, like you would be perfectly fine if Theresa May, during Wednesday's Prime Minister questions, took out her phone and started Snapchatting people. It would be better than abolishing the Human Rights Act. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what Lewis Ladies did is a hundred percent not what okay. The week. <laughs> no, like, I'll be fair here. Two or three people said this on my Twitter timeline um, when it happened. A couple of people said, okay, Hamilton's kind of in the wrong because what he did was was out of order. And I'm like, like I said, you're talking to a guy that has an entire podcast based about having a laugh about a sport where it's almost impossible to have a laugh in. You're not going to convince me on this one, okay? <laughs> like, I'm, I mean, not, I'm not saying you're wrong, King, because I, to- I, I do genuinely see where you're coming from here. But... 
I'm just not that guy. <laughs> Hashtag not that guy. What guy? Not that guy. And like, <laughs> expecting the press not to talk about it is even more ridiculous. You're no, not no, no, Babe no, no. Ruth. Get over, get over yourself. I think, to be honest, if I may have my, my brief moment here, gents, before I retreat to safety with a cup of tea. Before, before I strangle um, King. <laughs> yeah, basically. I mean, I, I thought things were going to get intense last week between your boys. Um, mm. Basically, I think Dre jokingly summed up pretty perfectly before they started recording when he said basically everyone's a bit in the wrong here yes um we have lewis hamilton who uh, i mean at first i was very much like really is this a story but i mean i've i've been there i've been in press conferences and accredited journalists before if you try to ask i mean the thing is the way i've always seen it the relationship between the media and racing drivers is a bit like the relationship between humans and spiders both are about as anxious and wary of the other as the other is mm-hmm. do you know what i mean like the whole saying about spiders are just as scared as you as you are you are they kind of similar for racing drivers you'd be surprised at how much racing drivers kind of are aware that the media are a thing they have to deal with and they're a necessary evil but kind of don't want to at the same that, time that's why we often use the term pr centric answer because they're so afraid of pissing people off having their words twisted Exactly. I mean, yeah. Look, look so, how much we criticised Rachel Brooks earlier this season when she was asking some really stupid, asinine questions to people like Dino Kvyat and Nico Rosberg. So I, I get it. I totally get where you're coming from on this one. But, yeah, but, but uh, the thing is here. Yeah, Hamilton's probably a bit disrespectful because it, it's like it's a it's a common courtesy thing. If you're trying to talk to yes. someone and they're just sat on their phone, you just go, "Excuse me, you can fucking pay attention to me or what?" You know what I mean? That's a bit rude. But at the same time, I feel like the press has has gone completely overboard here in a sort of They've kind of ended up like there's a real snobbery about it. Like, oh, we are the arbitrators of everything. We decide your fate sort of thing. And it's a bit like, yeah, but at the same time, was it really like, what questions were you asking him? Were they really that mind blowing? No. Were they really like, was this like a game changing thing? Like, I don't know. I feel like uh, uh, actually one person who did sum it up really well was Martin Brundle in his Sky Sports column. I thought he really nailed it quite well because as he said, you know, the media are very important in terms of motorsport and, and motor racing drivers because of course, they're basically the lifeblood for drivers to, you know, to, to attract sponsors and fans in the first place. Do you know what I mean? If they have no platform, then, you know, it's like if a tree falls in the forest, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there was a real kind of sanctimony about it and a sort of old man attitude of you know there was like there was a, there was an article in the guardian where most of the race report was spent slagging off lewis hamilton as lazy and not Katie paying Hopkins attention he was did more it on obsessed LBC yesterday which made me like hamilton to be honest with you if anything if anything that pisses off katie hopkins fine by me lewis keep doing your thing yeah. yes yeah. we all approve that's the best thing about it that's basically Didn't lewis hamilton's best down. baby your face point is now invalid katie hopkins is on board with you sorry <laughs> whoa yeah king whoa. you're on the same side as katie hopkins well we are not on the same side <laughs> <laughs> sorry that, next you've got donald trump waiting in be like oh, lewis hamilton's disrespectful and the whole world lewis will be on hamilton hamilton's is side. right he's a winner he's a winner i, I, I like like winners, I like people to win. But uh, yeah, I mean, again, like I said, be, being real with you here, like I, I get where the people on Hamilton's side are saying that you know it's it's like the media went far too far on this one. I think I was like, can I just say as well, what got stupid was people trying to accuse all that of then like it was directly linked to his crap start. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, that, it, that's so the media, the media <laughs> somehow going like slapping themselves on the back onto the race. Like, <laughs> the, 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 <laughs> look at him there. The, he snapped us on Thursday and then he cocks up his start. What a prat. And it's like, no, 
Just because you were mean to him in the newspaper doesn't mean he then goes, oh shit, I'd better not give the media more things to... Oh, I've cocked up my star. There, there's, fuck's you know sake. What? There's a reach and then there's trying to build a ladder to the moon. That's what that is right there. And There's a reach and there's Stretch yeah, Armstrong. Like for me... Okay, I can see why somebody might think that Hamilton was being disrespectful. I do genuinely believe Lewis on Twitter when he was saying he was just trying to be sincere, and I, 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 I do, I do ultimately agree with him. And you know that you know, I, 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 I'm quite cynical regarding Lewis. I'm sure many people that listen to the show know that already. I do believe he was being. I don't think he was trying to piss anybody off when he broke out his phone and started Snapchatting people even if he indirectly kind of threw some shade at the media in the process. And of like, course- okay, quick question. Was he right to not show up on Saturday? If he's taken offense to it, and he genuinely believes that, he, if he's genuinely offended by what he's written about himself in the press, then he's got every right not to show up, in my opinion. Like, like if if you if I was that pissed off at the media, I wouldn't start sitting down and giving them more questions to answer, and then and then writing them about me more. So, if like, if, or you just do the old, it, I'm just here so I don't get fired. Exactly. Like, if if you're that convinced, then you're and you and you believe in that so strongly, then fine. I have I haven't got a problem with that. I mean, ultimately, I think Hamilton was basically like giving them a red rag to a bull by not showing up on Saturday because it kind of vindicates what the media was saying about him in the first place yeah. on Thursday. So I don't think there's any real right answer here. It's either swallow your pride and your ego and take their asinine questions or you don't show up and have those same people criticise and condemn you even more because those same journalists will double down on what they were what they were saying on Thursday. So quite frankly, I think Lewis is damned if he does and damned if he doesn't, quite frankly. So I don't think there's any real right answer for me on this one. I think it's just, it was an ugly situation that was blown way out of proportion. And I ultimately, sure, I think there's a point you can make that maybe Lewis was being disrespectful on the Thursday. But... I think context is important here. This is a man that's had to do 100 plus of these press conferences over the years now. And I can't blame him for trying to do something a little bit different. That's what, that's what Lewis is. He is a very different sort of person in an F1 space that almost is crying out for someone like him. So if he, if he keeps trying to reinvent the, you know, try and push the needle, try and reinvent the wheel, I can't blame him. Even though, as I'm sure King will attest, a press conference probably just isn't the place to do something like that because it's the definition That's of, the place where you probably have to mind yeah, your P's and Q's. It's cues. the definition of old man game right there more than anything uh, else. I wouldn't say that either. I think I think it's what John said before. It's, it's about common courtesy. You wouldn't just do that. No. But um yeah, I mean, okay, I think that's I think that covers pretty much all the all the bases regarding. That was a lot more balanced than I thought it would be. Yeah. I think King has King has gone in the role of opposition here. Yes, and I've just been in the middle, like the speaker, just like yeah, it's un- really. <laughs> what? Yeah, but un- this is the most interesting story in F one right <laughs> yeah. now. A man, pl- it's like a Top Gear intro tonight. A man plays on Snapchat. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, he's on Snapchat. King wears a hat. <laughs> And Harrison act- and Dre is behind a low wall. Yes, no, behind a very low wall, throwing stones at King's house. Um, <laughs> but uh, unlike Theresa May, I respect my opponent. Because um, again, like I said, I do see where people are coming from in this one. I'm not, I'm not adamantly saying, oh, Hamilton's completely in the right, but. I can't lie. As a guy that hates the old man game of, of, of Formula One, ultimately I I will get behind Lewis ruffling some press's feathers. I can't help. And hey, it. as we said, he annoyed Katie Hopkins. Y- Goodbye, mate. Yes, that's always a, that's always a positive vote in my book. Quite frankly, however, what I will condemn the media for is 
like I think it's, it's a shame because Brundle's column about Hamilton media and whatnot was actually really, really good. And then he has to go and reach about Sebastian Vettel, and it's it's, it's it's like Brundle straight into your yard. It's, it's like firing a torpedo at HMS Harrison at this point. It's like you'd, you'd, <laughs> you don't know who you're fucking with here at this point. Um, so for those of you who don't know, I got this on my Ask Fan inbox about two hours before I started recording. And it was like, what are your views on this news? And it was a it was a link to a, to a article about Sebastian Vettel from from Martin Brundle. Um, it's, it's according to, according to F one's Martin Brundle, it was a video clip from the Grand Prix itself. Where he says that you know he doesn't think Vettel will be in Formula One in the long haul. He says he's lost his mojo. He may not be in Formula One for much longer. And the Arab Bene is basically he came out with, with his with his interview earlier in the week to basically light a fire underneath him or something. And I'm just like, what the fuck are you people talking about? Like, like I, I can't, I can't get, I, I have to wrap my head around this one because it's like, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's like, I'll, re- I'll read the article out for what it's worth just so you get an idea of what I'm trying to talk about. It says the, the, the subtopic is that Sebastian Vettel has lost his mojo and may not remain in Formula One for the lo- in the long term according to Sky One's Martin Brundle. I mean, to be fair, if he's right and he ends up in IndyCar, that's a win for us. Shut up. <laughs> I, I've got to keep one guy in Formula One, Johnson. <laughs> the four-time, <laughs> yeah. world, the four-time <laughs> world champion has enjoyed a frustrating two years since swapping Red Bull for Ferrari. For straight in two years, right. And without a victory in 2016, his season has also been marred by mistakes and collisions. One of them. Okay. Vettel has been told he has to earn a new Ferrari contract and to focus on driving by Mauricio Aravabene with the Scuderia boss telling Italy Sky F1 that times have changed since Michael Schumacher's spectacular spell. And Brundle doubts Vettel, who has only won three races since his last title in 2013 and starts seventh at this weekend's Japanese Grand Prix due to a three-place grid penalty, will find his stunning Red Bull form again. I'm beginning to think that Sebastian won't be in F1 for the long haul, suggested Brundle. He came so young, he broke so many records, I just watch him at work and he's lost his mojo. Um, do you not realise that Ferrari have been shite this year, Martin? I was going to say, what do you expect him to do when they are upwards of, like at Monza, they were upwards of one and a half seconds a lap slower on softer tyres? Like, like... This is not the Ferrari that it was last Schumacher year. Schumacher wouldn't have saved it, lads. No, this is not the Ferrari team that it was last year. And what I find amazing about this is that we, like, like Brundle is and Arava Bene are apparently condemning Vettel for the same attitude that we all loved about him last year when the car looked like it was going <laughs> places. People said, oh, well, Vettel's such a hard grafter. He stays up till midnight with the team trying to work out ways of going faster. He's a worker. He's a grafter. He's like Schumacher. We all like him. And of course, it turned out he had a fucking brilliant year last year. Have we all forgotten how brilliant he was last year? 13 yeah. podiums in 2015. Three in the second best car. Second best car. Three, three wins. The only guy to keep Mercedes honest a lot of the time. And he's won three times at 13 podiums. Had 16 drives in the top five last season. Was a legitimate driver of the year contender. And all of a sudden, because now they're not winning anymore, it's Seb's fault. He's the scapegoat. And we've forgotten they built the car for Kimi this year. We've all, we've all forgotten that too. The, the, yeah, have I we mean, forgotten that, that they just haven't I, taken I think, the steps forward that we wanted them to? I, I think for Brundle and the rest of Sky F1, I think they're starting to use Vettel as a scapegoat for not living up to their own hype. 
Yes. Exactly. We were all hoping they would be the great like white knight that would save us from another year of Mercedes domination. Now that we've realised that they've actually taken a step backwards, Vettel seems to be the early... It's almost like he's regressing back to his old dominant heel persona again. It's like last year he was... The, he suddenly flipped 180 to being like the heroic babyface. And now it's like... It's, it's just poor. Like, come on. need to listen to themselves when they said... like In other words, you're criticising Vettel for trying too hard. I just I just find that baffling. Now, don't get me wrong, Raikkonen has been a lot better this year, and that, that's a credit to the man that, you know, I thought he should have been gone at the end of last season, but, you know, he's, he justified his place this year. He's had a very good season by his standards. So, you know, it's... it's I find it amazing that all of a sudden, you know, because the Italian media was bad enough last time out saying, oh, you know, Ferrari now needs a competent driver to take him to the next level because, you know, the same guys that, you know, were, were praising Vettel to the moon last year for a brilliant season, winning three times, getting on the podium 13 times last year, and now they're throwing the shade at him because he hasn't stepped up to expectations. No, no, no. You're pointing your fingers in the wrong places. You need to put your fingers at, one, the team for falling behind Red Bull again, and two, the media for saying that Ferrari could have won nine or ten rounds this year. Because they won three last year. Their target this year was five wins. There's a real chance Ferrari are going to go winless this season because it seems the Red Bull legitimately have the second best car in the field right now. So no, I'm not going to tolerate Vettel being used as a scapegoat here just because he's not had a, as good a year as he had last year, which was on the level of any of his world championships. No, I'm not tolerating this. Brundle should know better. I, 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 I find it disappointing that Sky are basically ignorant to their own hypocritical journalism sometimes. I just find it so friggin' frustrating that this is a thing. Like, they need to do better, King. Like, I, honestly, I'm stressing out back here because I want to condemn Ferrari for being shit, but at the same time, the media plays a big role because they look relatively shit because of their own hype. <laughs> yeah, we're at, we're at the early parts of the season. They were like, when is... Like, it, it made it seem almost inevitable that Ferrari was going to win a race this season. Yeah, it's... And, and again, to be fair, part of the problem here is that you know, Ferrari have taken a step backwards here, and honestly, they've left wins on the table this season. Like Australia, they really have. Like look at Spain. Australia and Spain were two sitters for Ferrari this year that they missed out on. Two very winnable races, and then Ferrari made the bad call by putting Vettel on on a strategy that was slower by putting him on a free stopper when their lead driver in the lead driver was on the weaker strategy and they gave Raikkonen the chance to win it and he couldn't pass for Stappen. We saw it in Australia. They left him out too long in Austria on Supersoft and then the tyre blew up and it cost, it cost Vettel to win. And I obviously lost my goddamn mind. Um, <laughs> when, 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 when oh, I remember that episode well. <laughs> that was a bad day. I ended up punching my wardrobe very hard that day. Um, it, it was not a good day for me. See, this is why you should support drivers with lower expectations. I, don't th- <laughs> I just saw, if Sergio Perez crashed out, I'm like, oh. I've been a Seb, all right, next week. I've been a Seb fan since 2008. You don't think you don't think I've thought about that before? Since 08. you're one of those guys. Fair play to you. I remember watching that first win in Monza in 2008 and being like, 
this kid's going to be pretty good, you, you know. And you know what's amazing? The, like, the penultimate lap of that race, Martin Brundle goes on this really positive tangent talking about Seb's personality, saying he's a proper Anglophile, he loves Little Britain and loves British comedy, Monty Python, he grew <laughs> up on it, and he, he's, he's, he's such a nice guy that when you interview him, he thanks you for the interview. He said to James Allen, listen, man, we got to bring him down a peg. He's given us F1 drivers a bad name. <laughs> because he was such a nice dude, apparently, and now the problem is he's lost his mojo, even though he was bloody brilliant early, like just one season ago. I just, I despair. Sky F1, everybody, continuing to find ways to make my head explode on on, on any given weekly basis. But uh, one more thing we want to talk about, and it's, it's, reg- it's regarding, you know, the happy-go-lucky camp of Force India. And uh, Hello? John- Johnson's under some pressure here because... There's a lot of rumours gaining traction that Nico Hulkenberg may actually not be staying at Force India after all. No, Nico, <laughs> don't break up team boys. King, <laughs> King, tell your... King, tell, you leave him alone. T- tell your man... <laughs> tell your man to sign the dotted line, maybe? Hulkenberg to Renault? Hmm? Oi, Renault, no, don't be stepping to my boys. <laughs> Just because he didn't get Perez. King, I want, I want a statement from you, a press conference statement. I'll get my phone out. Where, where, where's your statement on the matter? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to sit on Snapchat. Ooh, statement uh, on the matter. Okay. If Renault sweeps the decks, I would definitely be open and excited to Nico Hulkenberg signing with the team. Says, to be no fair, shit, as R- the team's got Julian Palmer in it right now. <laughs> well, to be fair, RJ made a very good point on Twitter when he said, unlike two years ago, it would make some sense for Hulkenberg to go to Enston. Two years ago, we were all disappointed when Maldonado trumped him for the Lotus seat, and then Lotus had their worst season ever in Formula One. Yeah. Like, so, and, and the thing is, for me, like, obviously, I'm a little bit biased on this oh, one. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> a, a tiny bit. Uh, but the thing is, while Force India are the best independent team in the in the championship right now, Renault are below their level, but Renault being a factory, you get the feeling they have more resources to throw at making their car better. I'm not saying they're going to jump up to be the fourth best team next year, but they have more potential. You feel like Force India have reached their ceiling. Yes. Like they're already punching well above their weight at this point. Like considering a few years ago, there were rumors of them going bankrupt. Mm -hmm. They're now at a point where they're legit the fourth best team in F1. And I still can't quite believe this. Uh, I find it kind of funny how it was only a few rounds ago that Perez was the Force India driver with all the rumors around him. But now it's Hulkenberg. I don't know. I, I think it's one of those things where Hulkenberg needs a crystal ball because if he knew just how good Renault would be in three years' time, he'd be there immediately. But no one knows. Exactly. And but yeah. generally, in F1, Renault do eventually get it right. Yeah. I, my, my view on the whole thing has been this. Like, Hulkenberg is, is, no, is no longer a spring chicken. He's 29 years old. And, you know, he's in his prime. He's still got a he's still got a fair amount of fan support that still think he's one of the most underrated drivers in Formula One, and you know that logic alone is well, like, well, if everyone thinks you're underrated, are you really underrated? Probably not. But like Hulkenberg's got a good reputation, you know, he's done tremendous work in poor cars in previous years, like in Sauber, where he was getting top fives in that car towards the end of his run. Oh, yeah, there. well, he was not getting paid, by the way. At the same time. Um, so, like, Hulkenberg is, is a very, very good driver, but he's just been robbed of a real chance at a top-tier team to really show off what he can do. He's 29 now. This realistically, it really is the limit for Force India now because, I mean, the only teams that are above them now are the three massive factory teams in Formula 1 that, again, they're, they're the perennial powerhouses, Ferrari, Red Bull, and Mercedes. 
He's he's got nothing to gain by being second fiddle to Sergio Perez now because I mean he's going to be one and two against Sergio in the three years together at Force India. Like, Perez is having his best season yeah, in F1. Perez this is year. having his best season in Formula One probably since at least since 2012, maybe in his entire career. Yeah. Um, I think I, ch- I checked it. I think he's just passed his points total for the best season in his F1 career. And obviously we've still got four races to go. Exactly. So Hulkenberg hasn't really got too much to stand by lose by, by sticking around in, in a team where he's not really going anywhere. If Renault get their act together, he could spearhead that team up to the top again. And, you know, if Renault get their act together... How good could Hulkenberg be? He, like, he could be the, the ideal guy. It's the if, isn't it? It's, it's a big if. But when you're 29, your career's never really been what you've always wanted it to be or the potential that it could have been, given that he's one of the most out, outstanding junior drivers we've ever seen enter Formula One. You know, oh, yeah. you know, you know former A1 GP world champion, you know, former GP2 champion, won the series as a rookie, etc. So... He's been one of those classic drivers where the spot at the top table has never quite opened at the right time for right, him, has right. it? Right, exactly. So, like, he, he's always been linked with those big drives. Like, the last years, the Ferrari, the second Ferrari seat's been the one that's been the dominoes fall, but Raikkonen's doing the Tony Kanaan and refusing to go old and retire gracefully. Um, so he, he's entirely justified in staying there. But, you know, for Hulkenberg, it's almost like a case of, well, the top three's out of the question, and that's kind of been the case of my entire career. Yeah, exactly. Renault, do I take one step back to potentially take two forward? Do you know in, what I mean? That's what he's got to be weighing yeah, up here. it might be his last roll of the dice, given he's 29, and, you know, he's in, yeah, he's in his prime right now. He's going to be one of the older drivers in the field. I mean, look, when you have given him a good car, as Porsche did at Le Mans a few years back, he goes and wins the thing with his two co-drivers. Like, he's clearly got something there. But as you said a few times with previous, why haven't they signed Hulkenberg? He hasn't got that proof of concept. Yeah, He's still unproven, which is weird, given how long he's been in F1. I mean, it blows me away. Still doesn't have a podium. Yeah, and Sergio Perez next door has seven. Yeah. Even Romain Grosjean's had podiums in the past. Like Sergio, like yep. Sergio Perez. I put Grosjean, Perez and Hulkenberg in that very similar yeah. bracket. Bottas. Bottas is Bottas in that. Is, yeah, Bottas. Bottas had six podiums and Williams was good in 2014. He had six podiums that season, including two second places. So, you know, it's everybody else has got a proof of concept that shows that if you have a really good car, they can do it. Hulkenberg is the one guy that hasn't really got that claim. Um, so that that's always been a problem for him. But, uh, you know... Hopefully this time. I mean, I'd love to see him in Renault. I think him spared in that factory would be a really great move for him, I think, given that Force India, it's it's like a dead-end seat to me. With Renault, you may just get something a bit more special. And, and uh, King, not a bad guy to host a factory. I mean, I think a Hulkenberg-Magnussen team would be very strong indeed, even if Axel oh, doesn't end up keeping a seat. Yeah. It's like, a bit like, my, it's, my dream Renault lineup isn't Hulkenberg-Magnussen. It would be Hulkenberg-Ocon. Ooh. That's tasty. Yeah, that's very tasty indeed. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, well, I mean, didn't to, he give me, that one away like, in his you're sweet? not keeping Palmer, you he's got to well get that Frenchman in there. Keep Magnussen. <laughs> yeah, because like they're, they're like much of a muchness, really. Like neither of them have been particularly special this year, really. I mean, they've had a couple of strong drives in races towards the end of the year now, but like nothing about Ma- conveniently when both their jobs are on the line. Yeah, like Magnussen and Palmer, have, I think neither have been particularly impressive this year, anyway. So. For me, why not clear the decks and start over? And, you know, if you can get a really, you know, a very, very good midfield-level dude in Nico Hulkenberg to spearhead your team going forward, that, you know, with factory backing, that could be a lot of potential there. And Ocon, hmm, very tasty prospect indeed. But uh, that pretty much just about covers everything, really, from uh, from the Japanese Grand Prix. 
Let's move slightly north, shall we, to Hong Kong as we talk about the Formula E season three opener. had his great big season free 2016-17 opener this past Sunday morning in the streets of Hong Kong. Very cool indeed. Um, but as, as you can guess, King, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Renault wins. Lol. Basically. Oh, it's like I, I want to be upset, but I'm also happy that they won. Oh, don't even try to pretend this. Come on now. This is your boys. Come on, it's your French boys. Yeah, it's my boys. It's your, it's your, it's your French boys with, with the Pfizer car and, uh, and, 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 and when Buemi in the front winning again. But the funny thing is about watching that race, King, is that it's like Remy was just fiddling while Rome burned around him because everybody else that was contenders just kind of screwed themselves over. Like, we were shocked that Nelson PK for Next Dev got on pole position. It was a Next Dev 1-2, which would shocked everybody. Like, Nelson PK back on pole, and then Oliver Turvey rounding off the front row. Um, shout out to him for the signed poster on my wall. Um, as King's getting arrested for some reason. <laughs> Cop car outside. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, but they're coming after him. But it was a very funny qualifying grid with, you know, the, the next dev boys one and two, and then the DS Virgin boys of Bird and uh, Lopez three and four. But uh, it's funny because everybody else around Buemi just just messed up. <laughs> yeah, that, that seems to be one of the go-to cliché f- cliches that's grown in formula e where it's like tight street circuit people are gonna mess up aren't they <laughs> yep and that's what happened i mean nelson pk was comfortably in front and well it, w- it wasn't really his fault it was kind of a victim of circumstance here because it was lopez that had one only had a bad start because he, he he went far too wide around the opening hairpin and then lost two spots bremi overtook him on turn two down um, down towards the run down towards turn two and then Later in the race, around the halfway point, Lopez has put it in the wall because the chicane, the but the curbs on the chicane got moved later in the day, so that just wreaked havoc with everybody's driving lines and whatnot. Um, Lucas Degrassi had a big one in qualifying that may have forced him to start from the back, and that was bad enough. And then he had to run through the pits to get a new front wing or front nose cone because uh, he got he got the black and orange flag for that. I think both apt cars did in their race. Him and Daniel App did. But Lopez puts it in the wall on the chicane, and then two seconds later, Nelson Piquet, trying to swerve to avoid Lopez's car that's already in the wall, puts it in the wall himself and brings out the safety car. Oh, dear. <laughs> so uh, that that happened. Sam Bird, who I think was pretty much like in position to be leading the race, he loses a lap in the pit lane because his car just stalls and doesn't work properly. So... Buemi pretty much gets a free ride to the win, King. I mean, that was just kind of incredible to watch, just seeing all the other cars around Buemi just screw up in some way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it, it it was nice to see. Uh, I don't know. To me, it seems like the racing could have been a bit better, but it, it was yeah, a I nice agree. way to start the season. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't, I mean, like... 
We're also going to talk about this on that bullet point. So we said, we talked about. I mean, Hong Kong looked really nice as a venue. I'll say that much. Like like the streets of Hong Kong was really nice. You got the backdrop of the uh, the water and you know the 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 you know, the, 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 the the all the skyscrapers that are in the background. It was a really nice look. Um, the track itself, eh, not so sure on that one, King. If, if I'm honest. I mean, it, it's it's Hong Kong. It's the best they could do, and I mean that the opening hairpin and the long straight into the right hander that was decent. The rest of the track, yeah, not decent. so much. Yeah, it just, it just, I just don't think it really worked all that great for me. I mean, the chicanes had wreaked havoc with certain people's races. You know, Lopez had a bad one, and PK binned it from the lead. Robin Fries had an enormous one. Um, in in qualifying, that was a big one. Um, um Felix uh, Rosenfest um had a, had a bad one as well, where he spun it and put it in the wall. He had finished two laps down as well in his Formula debut. Um, so no points on his on his new series debut for Felix on this one. Unfortunately, he has, he has a knack for that. Unfortunately, but um, Kilsa King, did you see Bobby Rahal's complaints about the race as well on Twitter? Yeah, <laughs> it's like I was like, well, this is very Bobby Rahal, isn't it? <laughs> I, I, I think he's hating the fact petrol. that <laughs> I think he's hating the fact that BMW is like, hey, we're gonna back Andretti. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh my god, BMW believes in electric racing cars. Bobby's like, no, 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 we need pack, we need petrol, gas, guzzling, and we don't like the French. Uh, yeah, I think he's, <laughs> I think he's more worried about his little BMW program in in IMSA not being a thing soon. Uh, oh, yeah, that's a point. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. They do run the they do run the BMWs in GC like racing. God yeah. people. He's like, it's like God damn people actually enjoy this shit. How dare he? <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, Bwemi. Dre versus the Ray Halls, episode five hundred and sixty-five. Folks, I saw them. <laughs> um, this is going to culminate in WrestleMania one year. Bobby and Graham in one corner, drained in the other. Like, yes, <laughs> come at it. I've got, I've got cans of salt for days. Bring it on. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, but uh, I mean, Bwemi takes a win, and then obviously, shout out to Lucas Degrassi. I mean, after a really bad day and having to go through the pits, the safety car definitely kind of bailed him out here because he was able to get back up the field. And uh, actually finishing second, which he thought was as good as a win, he said, after the race itself, given that it was obviously a massive comeback for him to finish the race in second after starting from the back. And shout out to Nick Heinfeld in third for Mahindra. And we talked about this on Slack King. Nick Heinfeld is 39 years old now. Oh, dear. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's our reaction. Yeah. What? Yeah, it's like it's like how old do you feel right now given that like Dude. Nick Heinfeld is friggin' 39 now. Holy shit. I, d- I don't want to live. <laughs> I don't want to live on this planet anymore. I like I like I feel bad knowing I'm 15 years younger than Heinfeld and I remember him driving for like Lotus 4 years ago in Formula 1 and he was doing I that. I remember as a him f- driving for Sabre. Yeah, like <laughs> And that was only that was only like four years ago. He was thirty five back then. What? <sighs> I just I just find that very very like I just feel like I just feel old, King. Like I just he basically could be Max Verstappen's dad. Yeah. <laughs> in, 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 in this day and age, absolutely. I mean, Jesus. Christ. Yeah, yeah. I mean, holy oh, crap. God. But uh, you know, for those guys that want to know the rest, just the rest of us real quick. Uh, Heinfeld third, Nico Prost fourth, the Costa fifth. 
Robin Frings in sixth, Jerome D'Ambrosio seventh, uh, Turvey eighth, Mara Engel ninth, and Sarazan in tenth. And uh, PK recovering from his accident to finish just outside of the points in eleventh place. I mean, King. I think we'll talk about the race here for a minute. I mean, I think it was okay. I don't think it, I think for Formula E's pretty high standards, this wasn't particularly special, was it? <laughs> yeah, Formula E's high standards. It wasn't special compared to most other racing series out there. It was okay. It was okay. It was like a, a solid five, six out of ten level race. It was just, it was fine. Um, you know, not not the bang that the series probably wanted to start season three, especially given that it had. <laughs> Especially it's like three weeks till the next goddamn race. Uh, we talked about this last week. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 there was not much momentum to begin with here. There was there was there was nothing that was too mind blowing about this race, and then we got to wait of three weeks for the next one. Like, it feels like a lot of the hype around Formula E centers about stuff that will happen in the future. Yes. Like literally, it really is a series about the future. All the hype is about manufacturers who will join in the future. Oh, that was a great race. When's the next race? Very far in the future. Yes. Oh, I um, mean, it was, it was different season one. Season one was such a special season. Yeah, it was amazing. Oh, I remember. It was almost like a proper football <laughs> season. It ran like wind, uh, autumn to autumn to spring, and it was almost like races every weekend. Did, 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 did Nelson PK have 5,000 to 1 odds to win the championship? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think so. I but, mean, uh, <laughs> given, given the nature of it being the first season, it was like anyone's season, and it literally played out like that. Yeah, <laughs> and we've got to wait now till November 12th, a month to the day almost, to, to Marrakesh um, in Morocco for round two, another brand new venue on the calendar. But uh, there was another, um, like, for us, for those of us that don't know, our podcast has a Slack chat where we just talk about certain things in motorsport, and, you know, we obviously keep up with ourselves over there as opposed to sliding in DMs and whatnot. It's, it's, it's much more classy that way. But um, the penny kind of dropped that... Like we talked about it last week with, with Katie, that the New York and Montreal rounds swapped around. So you know, New York uh, is now going to be on the weekend of the fifteenth of July next year, and Montreal will be, will be the season finale on July 29th now, But that still doesn't solve the problem that was there in the first place. Just makes it an even bigger one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as, as King will, will quite graphically allude to in the next twenty seconds, because uh oh. There's a great big WEC clash that weekend, and uh, King, your beloved Brooklyn race is now no longer seems anywhere near as appealing, given that a quarter of the field may not be there for it. And why is that? <laughs> because there's a clash with the six hours in a Nürburgring, and it, it had to be a clash with the first motor race in New York City in literally a quarter of a century. I'm... Um, John- King is literally mourning over there. John- Johnson likes somebody send out a prayer circle for King. This is not good. He's he's. I'm, I'm taking a knee, he, man. He, this is not good for no, me. No, this, is, this is not good for Formula E. This is not good for motorsport in the United States. It's an awful look. Like, like I said before. And can I just say, we were talking about this before we started. There are because obviously for the last few years, well for this year and then next year. There's been controversy about F1 uh, having the date clash with Le Mans, with uh, the the European Azerbaijan-Baku straight 90-degree turn Grand Prix. Um, But with this, with them now clashing with Formula E, or the Formula E clash now, 
And there's also a dispute. The ACO seem to be throwing the shade at uh, Creventic, who are a endurance sports car racing organizer in Europe, for daring to use LMP3 cars next year. Somebody pointed this out in the Midweek Motorsport Listeners Collective Facebook group, which, of course, uh, are the, the kind of fan collective for Radio Le Mans. You may have heard of them. Um, somebody pointed this out. Could it be that all along we've been on the side of the ACO, kind of, go, well, Dre hasn't, uh, on the side of the <laughs> ACO going, oh, why people, bad, big nasty F1 clashing with their big race. Is it now a case of that they've sort of burned bridges with people? It's almost like a no, case of people are going... This is, this is the- this has been the ACO's MO since like day one. Like if you're an American sports car <laughs> fan, you've always hated the ACO. Oh yeah. I mean, this is the, this is the series that they were like, yeah, we're reviving the world endurance championship. Fuck you. Sebring 12 hours. Oh, we're out of here. And now the reason thing over, you know, the new Daytona prototype on international with the, yeah, that's a whole nother story. The ACO is definitely like they're the ACO being the, the good ACO guys blowing is up a their very successful NMP2 class. Yeah. So are we now getting to the point that it could actually be the ACO causing all this friction? We, oh, we thought it we was the other way around. the ACO when it comes to Formula E, at least. Yeah. Uh, explain the situation uh, there. Because uh, Alejandro Agaga and Formula E, they requested to know when, what, what Formula E, what the WEC schedule would be next year so they could avoid clashes. But... The ACO never revealed that to them until after, you know, Formula E already set up all their dates and they just assumed everything would be fine. <laughs> but the ACO... So basically, what happened is someone got on the phone to the ACO like, um, yeah, we, we, we want to try and avoid clashes with your series, obviously. That's bad form. Uh, could you let us know, you know like what your calendar's looking like for next year? All right, cheers, bye. And then literally went, well, has anyone heard back from the ACO? Uh, no. Well, they don't often race in August, do they? Or, you know, whenever it is. Like, when even is the six hours of the Nürburgring? It's like June or uh, July, isn't July it? July 15th and 16th. It clashes directly, well, it, yeah. Well, exactly. Like, the, the Formula E probably went, well, you know what? They take like a month and a half <laughs> sabbatical after Le Mans anyway in June. So we've got to be safe for July, right? And then literally they sort the calendar. week later, hello? Oh, now you get in touch and tell us the, your poxy calendar. Now we've already booked it. <laughs> So, yeah, when you put it like that, uh, I love the fact I have a stunt phone on my desk just for moments like this. And the thing Um, is, it's strangely in the WEC and ACO's benefit that there would be a clash because next year they start their special partnership deal with Formula V8 3.5. Uh-oh. So, Formula V8 3.5 or technically a feeder slash support series to the World Endurance Championship next year. Oh boy. That doesn't sound good. It's, yeah, uh, so it's like, hey, if you can't race in Formula E anymore, we have our own single-seater series you can race in now. Oh god, and like, for what it's worth, there's like like a good quarter of the field in Formula E are in the WEC full-time. Sebastian Wemmy was the first to come out and publicly say he will not be at that Formula E race in New York. He will, he, he's more committed to the to Toyota in the WEC. I, sh- I, mean, I think the irony is with the WEC, you think, well, because they've got multiple drivers per car, maybe they can sub someone in. That happens somewhere else where there's clashes, you know, like if there's an IndyCar clash in IMSA and one of the IndyCar drivers does the occasional race 
race over there. But the thing is, in WEC, they are factory drivers. Yeah. They're tied to like Toyota and Audi and and uh, Porsche, you know, Ford and, and Ferrari and all the factory, and Aston Martin. Whereas in Formula E, they are getting factory support to a more degree, but they're not. King, it, it feels to me like they are more, they are like, for example, Sebastian Buemi is a Toyota WEC driver first. Yes then a Formula E driver second. Yes, and that's a big deal. That means his Formula E contract is basically pointless when it meets any conflict with his Toyota contract. Indeed, and you know what's amazing about that as well? That's Buemi costing himself two races in this championship. Like, that could be massive. Like, that could have massive title implications because I mean, he's defending champion this year, and he's already going into this knowing he's only going to take part in 10 of the 12 races. That's... Yeah. That's that's that could be a problem. Like, like but, then, uh, but then you have the ACO dangling this carrot with you know the Formula V8s because they're they're racing at I think six of the WEC rounds next year. They're, they'll be racing at Fuji, Bahrain, Mexico, Spa, the Nurburgring, oh and in Britain. I'm trying to work this out as well. Who would miss out? Buemi, I assume, would. Lucas Degrassi probably would because he drives the, the number six. Sam Bird, I think. Does he still drive AF yeah, Corsa? Sam yeah. Bird still drives AF Corsa. Loic Duval, I think, would still be involved at that level. Um, yep. Uh, there's one more in there I'm, I'm thinking of. I'm trying to look down here. Heidfeld? Uh, or is Heidfeld still involved with Rebellion? I'm not sure. I'm not sure on that one. Uh, Mitch Evans. Well, no, he, I think he's only been Le Mans the last he's year. He tested over um, there really anyway for them. Anyway, he's never really been. A, he's never really yeah. driven full time for Sarazan. Is Stefan Sarazan still involved in some way? I'm not sure on that one, but there's definitely at least three we can think of right there that that are going to be directly impacted by this. Yeah, Sarazan's still a Toyota driver. Okay, so yeah, there's another one. So you can throw Sarazan in there as well. Um, so yeah, like you could be seeing a quarter of the field having to make some very difficult decisions, like Buemi. He may be throwing this title away before it's even started, basically saying, yeah, I'm not going to drive in New York with just two rounds in it. Um, so, yeah, that's a big one for Formula E, and that's going to be a real headache for IGAG. And, and, and yeah, all, and uh, the problem with Formula E, who do you replace these guys with? Because that weekend also clashes with the Toronto IndyCar race. Oh, double gosh, no. <laughs> So it's not like you could send in the cavalry of like New Garden and Dixon. Oh, that would be fun, actually. Yeah, that's like <laughs> it would basically at be e IndyCar. Yeah, at first I was like, okay, if this clash happens, let's throw some IndyCar guys in there. And then I realized, oh damn, they race in Toronto that weekend. They can borrow Hinchcliffe, I'm sure, right? No, Hinchcliffe yeah. is not missing his hometown race. <laughs> <laughs> that is the most angry king has ever been at me on this, on this podcast. Like, oh yeah, he's... yeah. By the way, um, Nick Heidfeld is still signed for Rebellion Racing. So, yeah, there you go. So, See, that, that... there's another one. Oh lord, well half the field being in the WEC doesn't exactly help the situation here at all. But uh, that's going to be a real head scratcher um, for for the for the Formula E and the its drivers going forward. But. Uh, yeah, let's take a break from Formula E and let's get into the news at the mailbag. So let's go to the news real quick. And there's only a couple of real news stories going and going into uh, going into this one. And uh, one of them is in MotoGP. We've got we've got the Grand, we've got the Japanese Grand Prix for them at Mategi this weekend. But uh, we'll be down one Ducati because Andrea Iannone will not be fit for that round at Mategi. He has, he's had continued problems with his back, and 
there's a story here, King, that apparently Ducati asked Casey Stoner to fill in. Yes, so they asked Casey Stoner, and he said no. That's literally, like, the basis of the story. They asked uh, Ducati's team principal uh, if they tried to get a replacement. They said, yeah, we asked Casey to, if he wanted to come back, and Casey said no. Yeah. That sounds a bit like that old Busted song. <laughs> I asked you to substitute a Motegi, but you said no. <laughs> Again, because you're Casey Stoner. Did you Stoner. really just sing Busted on this podcast, Johnson? I should smack that. Yes, I, I did. I smack the shit out of you right now. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> Holy God damn. Right, but as I was saying, yeah. Um, That's a highlight reel for YouTube. <laughs> So Ian Omni is out. And then the funny thing is that, like, King, uh, King, just as King mentioned, they tried Stoner and said no. But they still left it to the absolute 11th hour just in case Ian Oni could still find a way to ride. And it turns out they couldn't do it. This is going to David Emmett at Moto Matters tweeting about it. He said that, you know, Ducati, wait, like, Ducati had gone past the point where they could have submitted a replacement rider for the weekend, just in case they wanted to give Ian Oni every possible chance of being able to be fit for the race. And or they were like, Casey, please, Casey, if you don't come, no one will, Casey. Casey, please. <laughs> it feels like one of those like desperate booty calls, you know, <laughs> when someone's like, Did someone's you just, just like, Casey exhausted. Stoner, not riding for Jacati to a booty call. What the hell do you know about well, booty, booty calls, Johnson? That would be the best booty call think. ever if um, you're a motorcycle team. Well, it's more like if you're Jacati, you're just like, uh, we, uh, we have no options. I thought we were more. Uh, Casey, man, we're lonely. You know, I'm home alone. you're lonely fishing. You know, like, G- I'm not coming back to ride for you. I've said this about twenty. To- oh, please. please. Like, and, and then, and then, Jacati say to Casey, "We'll put you in for Australia." And then, like, all of a sudden, the house starts moving. <laughs> I, was, I was like, "What the fuck do you know about booty calls, Johnson?" <laughs> well. <laughs> There's a segment for episode 101. Oh right, right, yeah, like like, like you've been on the booty call, yeah. <laughs> no, he's, you know, he's, like, he's gonna he's gonna try to fill it in. He's got time. He's got time. To- <laughs> 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 okay, you made a very good point there. He's got he's got time. Um, maybe maybe you know what he's gonna do? He's just gonna start calling in Babe Station in the middle of the night. <laughs> start getting. Dre, you never knew me in my late teens, did you? Oh, 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 a word. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see how this is. Okay, but uh, yeah, it turns out Ducati, like we like in, when, when it comes to Ducati in these situations, they normally would call on their very loyal and incredible substitute, the policeman himself, Mercedi Piro. Uh, what? What? That's the sound of the police. Yeah, <laughs> that, 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 that's going to catch on soon, I promise. Um, yeah, shout out to you, all you bike life fans. I, know, I tried it on there as well, uh, <laughs> embarrassingly. Um, but at the same time, yeah, Mercedi Piro is the often designated super substitute that Ducati often have as they said they missed that deadline so Piro is now actually over in Valencia right now testing out the brand new GP17 that's going to be their bike for next year which is also kind of controversial because uh, Yamaha are not letting Jorge Lorenzo test that new bike out um, mm. no- normally in MotoGP there's a gentleman's agreement that the leaving rider is allowed to test his new competitor in November when the season finishes so like, for example the season would finish in Valencia they test the they test for next year the next day. So they all just stay in Valencia for the week. So they all just test the next day instead. And then so when you get all the riders changing over, like for example, you'd have 
guys that are going to be in MotoGP come back and just testing the brand new bike the next day immediately. Like like Danny Kent, for example, was testing the Moto2 bike the same week he just won the Moto3 world title. So, like, there's normally a code of conduct where there's a gentleman's agreement where you let the rider ride the new team immediately. Yamaha are not letting Lorenzo test that bike. <laughs> Apparently, yeah, he's a, yeah, he's they, con- they, Ducati's won a race now. It's it's a war now. It's it's a war now. <laughs> yeah, in other words, Yamaha. They're adopting the old Rossi maxim. We like you until you beat us. Yes, basically, they say that that Yamaha's contract with Jorge Lorenzo doesn't expire until January the first. So they're going to ride all of those days out. It's like when Red Bull had Sebastian Vettel leave for Ferrari. He could have tested on the day, but then Red Bull was like, nope, your contract lasts four days longer than that test. We're going to use all four of those days. <laughs> Just mad petty from Red Bull more than anything else. But I think that Yamaha are genuinely scared of how quick they think Lorenzo is going to be on that thing. So they're not going to let him test, especially given that, as Don said, they won a race now. Um, so... Maybe they're a little bit worried of that threat, but uh, a bit of a punch to the gut from Yamaha to Jorge Lorenzo um, in, in in that PR camp. But uh, yeah, all of that on MotoGP, and we'll talk about that on next week's show. Remember, Marquez has his first match point to try and win the title. It's very unlikely. I think he's got to win. I think Rossi has to finish 13th or lower, and Lorenzo has to finish third or lower, something like that. Um, it's probably not going to happen. But hey, who knows? Maybe the Amals will take each other out or something, just, just to put the final nail in the coffin of their relationship <laughs> or something. How funny would that be? Uh, I would pay good money for that. Um, so, you know, Orge, if you want to say... If you, if you want to say F you to, 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 to Yamaha one more time, maybe give Rossi a little nudge. For me. You know, for the culture. <laughs> for the code. For the code. That, that, for, for my own amusement, that would be amazing. But uh, <laughs> moving on to IndyCar news, and the worst kept secret in IndyCar has finally been unveiled as uh, Joseph Newgarden is officially a Team Penske driver. No. <laughs> no. Joseph, you were the chosen one. <laughs> you were supposed to destroy the dark side, not join them. That's what Ed Carpenter said the day that Joseph walked into his office and said, yeah, Ed, I'm not coming back next year. Lord, next thing you know, Roger Penske wakes up in the middle of the night and goes, Lord Newgarden. Rise. <laughs> <laughs> and then he looks in the mirror and just goes, No! As he, as he, puts, in, no. As he puts in his new black and blue number two car jumpsuit. Um, yeah, Joseph Newgarden is confirmed, and we, we've spoken about this at length before, but. Um, Can I just say, what, what, what is it with my boys going to the biggest teams in their respective sports? I had Van Gisbergen go to Triple Eight this year. Now this... Question, why the fuck are you complaining? <laughs> because I'm not used to it. I'm used to supporting underdogs. This is weird for me. If someone told me back in back in like 2012 that Simon Pagano would be champion within five years, I'd be like, you're crazy. Which is, which is, crazy, because, yeah, which is crazy because I think it was RJ that pointed out that stuff. It was you or RJ that pointed out that Pagano was the 2012 Rookie of the Year. Yeah, I pointed that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pagano was 2012 Rookie of the Year. And for four then, years later, he wins the championship. For, for then, Smith Hamilton Racing. 
Yeah, and and now wow. four years later, he's the he's the best driver. He's the best driver in the class, and he's now you know IndyCar Series champion. Who would have thought it? And now New Garden is at Penske, and again, wasn't he a rookie in twenty eleven or twelve? I want to say in New Garden, and like if you'd ever thought, like like there was a famous video. I think it was um, Kurt Cavin tweeted it out of a video of New Garden as a rookie and nobody knew who he was when he was on the front row next to Dario Franchitti I think it was at Sonoma where he yeah, they, they had second. a video series I think they had a video series a couple of years ago where where uh, New Garden would go around the pa- like go around the grandstand area and ask fans if they knew who he was <laughs> and, and no- nobody knew <laughs> nobody knew Nobody recognized New Garden out of the car. That just makes me sense. Like, so it's like somebody had the cheek to ask him, where's Mario? Uh, like, oh, where, 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 where's Marco Andretti? And I'm like, oh, he's just over there. And I'm like, oh, God, it's just, oh, it's the... I, I think one. one time, one time he was wearing his team T-shirt and somebody saw it. And so I was like, oh, do you know where Sarah is? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Are you like the valet? Oh, my it's God. Like, it's like, do you know if Sarah Fisher's at the track this weekend? Oh man, oh! But he's he's come a long way, our boy New Garden, and yeah. um, he's now in the best car, the the best team in the paddock, the reigning series champions, um, in the number two car, which means poor old Montoya is out of the seat. We'll get to him in a minute, but uh, King Penske now own the guys that were first, second, third, and fourth in this year's championship. Oh, dear God. Do you know what's remarkable? IndyCar is still far better than F1, even with Penske beatdowns. Yes, they won. It's kind of like V8 supercars in that respect. Eight have laid the beatdown on the series for the last decade, and yet it's still really they good. They won 10 out of the last 16 rounds of this past season, and yet we are none of us were bothered by that whatsoever because we actually had injury. Because at least the race, they had competition in those races. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, Penske now own one, two, three, and four in terms of race, in terms of last year's driver rankings in the championship. Like, in a way, I almost compared it to the breakup of the Shield. It was almost like Dixon, Rahal, and Newgarden with the Shield. They were like <laughs> the, the, the guy standing against Penske, and then Rogers goes, there's always plan B. <laughs> Newgarden smacks Rahal with the chair. It's all over. Yes. <laughs> yep, and just like that, Newgarden is in Team Penske. He joins the authority. He joins the authority. He is now the... I mean, Penske have just got a 25-year-old guy that's, in, that's had back-to-back seasons finishing top five in the championship. Or top six, I'd say, in the championship. That's best for business, that's best Dre. for business. And now they've got a young American... Like, the best young American stud probably in open-wheel racing. That's... And they probably have, like, the most marketable team they'll ever have now. Yeah, Pagano got the French audience, got the Aussie crowd of, of Will Power. You've still got Helio, who still has magnificent hair. Yeah, uh, it is. Hey! And now they've got New Garden to get the American side of the audience on board. Yeah, the, the, the first American they've had on the team full time since Sam Hornish Jr. in 2007. He was all right. Whoa, he, he was all right. Uh, <laughs> he was all right. <laughs> So you know, it's 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 a, it's one it's one heck of a grab from uh from the boys there at Penske. So yeah, God help us all for next season. Um, and hey, they they saying they may still run Montoya as a fifth car at the five hundred. There could be a fleet of five Penskes out there next year, King. For the hey. love of God, <laughs> like everyone's talking about it. It's like when when are one of the big teams going to expand the five cars full time? Because there's no rule against it. 
right? Uh, Andretti is always Do you know what? flirted I thought there with was. it. I think it's only because I assume that because in NASCAR, there's, there's it's they've limited the teams to four cars now. Yeah. There, there's no so rule I assumed against it. Was the same it. in IndyCar. Uh, Andretti has Uh-oh. always flirted with it, but they've never really committed to it because they've never had the money to. I mean, they kind of did this year with the Herter Alliance. Yeah. I mean, the Herter car was the fourth car, so... Oh, yeah, it's it? a fourth car. Oh, duh. 26, yes. 27, 28, yes. and then 98. Yeah. 20, yeah, I was shit at yeah, math. 26, um, Munoz, 27, Andretti, 28, Hunter Ray, and then the 98 of Alexander Rossi. They only ever had four cars. Yeah, so everyone's wondering when is one of the big three going to pull the trigger and launch a fifth car campaign? Who knows? It may still be this year, because, I mean, like, like it's it's a known fact that, according to you know guys like Marshall Pruitt, they're saying that they haven't completely given up on Montoya. They've said that you know if he wants a seat in their IMSA team, that's viable, and if he wants to run a fifth car at the five hundred, he can. Hang on, <laughs> well, 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 I'm a bit confused about this, King. What is Penske's IMSA team at this point? Uh, they're gonna run a DPI next year. They're gonna run a Daytona prototype. It's rumored to be the Cadillac factory team. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> the dark forces emerging towards him. Sir. John Hindhoff and company are kind of hiding in the corner of the commentary box like a dark wind is descending. No, it'd be more like a dark wind is descending upon Daytona. <laughs> oh, that was so Hindhoff. <laughs> oh, that is very Hindhoff. Good Lord. <laughs> But, I mean, talking about Montoya for a minute, obviously it's, it's, it's a little bit gutting. I hope RJ isn't crying while listening to this right now, talking about it. But, you know, Montoya is most likely gone. Uh, you know, he, he obviously he is gone from Penske um, as, as an IndyCar driver full-time. He, he Apparently he's got options for next year on the table. Where do you think Montoya will end up? Uh, mm, I think he'll stay with Penske, like... The only hope I had was him going to Ganassi if TK left, but I think we're going to get to that soon. Right, we're going to get to that point, that point of no return, basically. Um, <laughs> maybe. So you think Monte will stick around? I'm thinking Foyt. I'm thinking Foyt would love to have a big marquee name like Montoya in their seat. Yeah, do you know what? I'm with. You. Um, it's not very often I say this, but I agree with you. <laughs> I think Montoya is too hungry for a full time seat. Fucker. <laughs> Can't disagree with me, can you? <laughs> no, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. But uh, yeah, I think Foyt, I think is screaming out for a guy like Montoya. I think he would fit right in. Uh, and it looks like they're going to clear the decks. Yeah, I think Horsov is almost definitely gone, and I think he's apparently lost patience with Takuma Sato in that team. So, but that I could mean, be what would Monty want more? A full time ride where he has no shot at the championship, or a ride where he definitely has a shot at another five hundred. Mm. I've, that's a good point. Yeah, it's the full that's time thing, point. King. That's the pro, That's the thing. I think, I think Montoya said in an interview of IndyCar.com that he wants to drive full time next year. So, mm, yeah. So maybe if I mean he'll have a chance at the 500 anyway with 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 Foyt if he gets a full time drive anyway. So you know yep. why not just go go want to give it one more crack and maybe if can maybe you can bring Foyt back into play. Um, that would be interesting to say the least. But uh, one more big bit of news. It's all it's it's seemingly dead certain now that. Chip oh, no, it's official. Going to it's official. It's official. They have announced it. Yeah, it is definitely. Okay, so it's confirmed. Chip Ganassi is switching back from Chevrolet engines to Hondas. And King, on the face of it, eyebrow raising, but I 
kind of like this move actually from Andretti. Sorry, from Chip. This move or not? Um, I'll tell you why in a minute. But King, how do you feel about it? Uh, I feel like short term, it's not going to be so good. But long term, hopefully, when the new universe, when the new car comes into effect, it'll probably be good for them. I think for me, it, it's the alliance against Penske at this point, where you know Penske are going to win on Chevrolets, and they're not going to leave them anytime soon. If it, oh, and, and of course Ganassi have just switched back exactly. to Honda. Exactly. I mean, if you can't if you can't beat them on the same tech, you might as well try something different to try and beat them. If Honda can make gains, in, oh, they, 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 it won't be in the short term because the development is frozen on the cars now until the new one comes out in 2018. But maybe in 2018 rolls around. When they often take the short-term pain of being on Honda's current program, maybe if they make gains in other areas in 2018, maybe then Chip will have the advantage over Penske. You know, it's 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 like it's like they're trying to break the door open and try and take it out of their drivers' hands because you know Chip's team is good. We obviously know Scott Dixon is amazing. Not sure if Canon will be around in two years' time. Um, the thing is, for me, Kanan's almost in the Kimi Raikkonen stage of, you know, there are young drivers banging the door down for that car and people ideally would want that. But Kanan is almost too good to let go at this stage. He's just had a really good season. So it's almost like Chip's gone, all right, yeah. what's the point of getting rid of him? He's still delivering. It's not like Montoya who had a, you know, state of your season, mate. <laughs> like, Kanan was legit still really good. Yeah. So Chip's like... I'm keeping it was him. really good. Like Kanan was amazing that Kanan didn't win, but he only finished 16 points behind Scott Dixon this season, as uh, which is the best season Kanan has had with those two as their leading drivers in that Ganassi program. And heck, Kimball was it was, was finished finished ninth overall. Chip had a pretty good year, except for that they didn't have a really big hitter. Like Dixon was kind of disappointed by his standards, but you know. The rest of the team did step up. Like Kanan was really, really good the second half of this season. Kimball, as much as we joke about him, was pretty consistent this year. He was pretty, pretty solid. darn solid as well across the board. And Chilton had some good hitouts in his Chilton rookie had season. Some good oval days out there as well. So you know, there's 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 meat in that pie there for, for Ganassi going forward. So that's going to be interesting to keep an eye on. Maybe not now, but maybe in a couple of years' time when the cars change in 2018. That's one I'd like to keep an eye on indeed. Right. To the mailbag and your questions. Well, well, we'll we got some other news. You oh, did, well. Didn't it? With, TK is not leaving. He has a deal to stay on next season full time with Ganassi. Yeah, we, we kind of mentioned it in like the, the Cupid when it was, it was a breaking news kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, but yeah. Come on. Stick it around yeah. for another and year. Connor Daly got an award. The Don't Crack Under Pressure Award from Tag Hoor, for Tag Hoor oh, for, for, most, for, for <laughs> most overtakes this season with 78. I think second wow. place is. Gr- I mean, most overtakes this season with 87, and second place was Graham Ray Hall with 81 overtakes. Suck it, Graham! Wow, I was, I was, <laughs> yes! I was going to say, that overtaking award is basically, it's, surely it's it's the Ray Hall award, so daily beating it. That's, that's impressive. Yeah. I mean, you can be cynical about such awards and say, shouldn't it be renamed the I've had a crap qualifying session again <laughs> award? But, I mean... Yes. yes, Daly's Daly's had a good season, Put you know. Daly to Ed Carpenter, please. Yes, please. Yes, suck it, Ray Hall. Yes, get wrecked. Go for the Daly. Awesome, awesome. Good yep. for him. What's your name, Danny Brennan? Yes. Yeah, it is now. Yes, pl- please, someone <laughs> sign this kid, please. Uh, yeah. Pitch town liked your tweet. Had a boy. Uh, <laughs> so, so that. Uh, 
Dre's now going to retire. Yes, I can die happy now. Um, so let's let's crack the mailbag and let's have a quick rundown of some of these questions that are in here. Uh, Shorty F1 tweets, make a list of the top 10 greatest F1 drivers of all time. We already have. Episode 8. Go back through the archives. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm I, pretty hang sure... On, can I make mine, though? No, I'm pretty sure we might revisit that this off-season. Yes, depending, depending on how the off-season plays out, we may very well come back to that, so stay tuned on that one. Well, we're going to have to do something in the winter, yeah, aren't we? It's, it's, Given Formula E's no help, we were hoping, <laughs> hoping Formula E would deliver, but they're like, nah, we're going on a Christmas break yeah. as well. Your season runs through yeah, it's Christmas. Funny, it's funny, because Joe Ellis said on Facebook, what are you guys going to be doing in the off-season? The answer to that is, we don't really know yet. Uh, um, we're not going to do every, we're not going to do weekly... Sh- I'm going to be booty-calling yeah. by the sound of it. Clearly, not in your case, Johnson. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, like... in. We honestly don't quite know yet. Is the honest answer to that? We we aren't sure. We're not going. We'll we're, we're not going to have weekly shows beyond November. We'll probably go back to doing every two weeks once December comes around. But we got a couple of ideas and maybe something really really big on the horizon. Just gonna plant the seeds there. I will not. I will say no more. So just. Stay tuned on that one. That's all I will say. Um... <laughs> Joey of the Prius asks, will Joseph Newgarden actually dominate everyone in 2017 or would he be like Pagano and take a, a year and then completely kill? And then will also Rossi win the 101st rather than the 500? Mm. Is, is, is Newgarden going to be a slow... Is, is he going to be a slow bloomer in that Penske lineup? I'd say no. Because no. He's, he's, yeah, no, I think because because uh, if you look at Pagano's performance just before he moved to Penske... New Gardens is, if anything, a slight cut above uh, that. You know, compare their last season before Penske. New Gardens was a slight cut above. But, but so, again, but again, they were rookies uh, in the same season. Yeah, I know, King. I'm not beefing on you, boy. <laughs> they I'm not, were I'm not, rookies. I'm not, I'm not, and not to mention as well, he's already driving the same Chevrolet essentially that he was getting Ed Carpenter. So just just, just with better resources around him, so there's no real transitionary period here. New Garden has to go through. So I think New Garden will be right up there right from the start, in my opinion. You know, he's going to be one to watch for the title next year. Um, Rossi in the 500, it's a crapshoot. Who knows? Um, yeah. Oh God. I, that's why we love that, that race. I, so I think the last repeat winner was Dario. Ah. Yes. So it's like yeah, it, he it's was amazing. hard to repeat at Indianapolis. Indeed. Yeah, it's a bit like winning the Bathurst 1000 back-to-back. You just don't do it normally. Yeah. Question for King from Who Said Romo. I've started listening to the pod... Will it have something to do with robo yes. racing? Um, question for oh. King. I've, <laughs> Fuck I've started listening to the podcast too late to know the reason why you're obsessed with France. Why? P.S. A French car in the robo race could be hashtag our boy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh god, I I guess I, I wouldn't say that I have a thing for France. I just you oh, know you have a thing pre- for France. You you so have a thing for France. I don't even try to deny that at this point. <laughs> we were there for the draft. You drafted a bunch of Frenchmen to your draft team at your own detriment and supports Renault. I mean, what more do you need here? Hey, the draft I was gonna draft all Germans, but you got the number one pick, so I knew that wasn't gonna be a thing. <laughs> oh, so it's an OCD thing. <laughs> no, it's more thing. I appreciate history, and France and Germany have a large amount of history when it comes to motor racing. <laughs> Can I just point out as well, who drafted Lewis Hamilton to Team Social Media? 
That worked out oh. well. <laughs> and who picked Sebastian Vettel and got blown out by Cook? You all can kiss my ass, uh, quite frankly. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, we're, uh, we're still picking our jaws up off the floor after Skelling Tour picking Pippo Durant. Shut up, shut up. Uh, King, you're, essentially, you're, you're <laughs> loving the France. Why? Just, just the racing history of it all, really? Yeah, just, just the Ryan history Dillacking. mainly. Yeah, gotcha. Cool. Um... Uh, let's have a look here. Yeah. RND Adrian on Twitter asks, do you think the Australian supercars have a subpar braking pro- ability? Um, braking problems. Johnson, this one's probably for you. Uh, say that do again. Do you think the Australian V8 supercars have a subpar braking ability? You're asking the wrong guy here, clearly. So, Well, I, I, I'm not quite sure. As in, they, they, their brakes aren't good enough. Yeah, because like, I think... I think he's got it because he, he had about four tweets talking about real racing free as a simulator, and he thought, "Oh, the the brakes are bad in those cars." Well, maybe it applies in real life too. Yeah, I no, know. I don't think so. I mean, I mean, they're big, heavy touring cars. They are basically. Yeah. I don't think they're. I think they're about two hundred fifty, three hundred pounds, or three hundred kilos lighter than a NASCAR stock car, uh, and their engines are almost as powerful. They're six hundred forty horsepower, rear wheel drive. They are literally no driving aids whatsoever. Uh, the brakes are good for what they are. I think what's also mis- a bit of a misnomer is that we're talking about touring car racing here. People are always going to push the limits on braking. It's dive bomb city everywhere. I mean, look at what happened with Jamie Wincup and Scotty. Yeah. Like, so I think they're good for the cars. Right. Do you know what I mean? They're certainly not as good as anything else. But then what would be the point? You know, this is touring car racing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Evan Byrne and Danny Brennan both asked the same question. So shout out to both of you guys. If you're Force India, who do you pick as Hulkenberg's replacement if he goes to Renault? Ooh, that's actually hard. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Yeah. Uh, Joseph Nuke. Oh, no. Um, God. <laughs> that would be my ultimate boy team. Imagine that. Perez and Newgarden and Force <laughs> India. And Carlos Sainz is off the table. And that, that makes it doubly bad. Um, that's true. Hmm. I don't know. So, do you give Pascal Verlein a call and say, hey, bump him up in Mercedes' best interest? Give him a proper car? Pascal Verlein? I'm thinking Pascal. I mean, it's not like they've got an all-star like reserve driver either. Who's their guy that's been Alfonso Silias? Yes. Yes. Um, Safish Jr., I think that's the way. But yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, yeah. for me, why not give Verlein a call? Just throwing mm. it out there. If Mercedes ideas? will yeah, let I'm him go. <laughs> Why wouldn't they? You know, Force... Well, I mean, Force India are supplied by yeah, Mercedes. You can cut them a, a deal. Threat, so, you know, why not give them a better car to, to work with on the way up the ladder, right? You know? If, if, if yeah. we're, we're, willing, we're willing to bump up Jules Bianchi to Sauber before his accident, then why well, not? Is yeah? Sauber really a bump up? Like, even back then, was Sauber really a bump up? <laughs> From Mauritius, I mean, a little bit. It was more like a step on a flight of stairs. Okay. A particularly small step. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I'm thinking Pascal Verlein. Like, why not? Like, who are you going to get this better? Anyone? Ocon, maybe, but Ocon's probably more likely to go Renault, isn't he? I, I think right now, for, for, for a team, maybe. Oh, yeah. and if you're talking about rawness, it has to be someone in the series already. Mm, but then who? Kvyat, maybe? Is, oh my is, god! Is, is his stock too damaged at this point? I wouldn't say. It's, oh no! I want this to happen. Yeah, I would, Kvyat will be, officially become a boy if he joins Force yeah. India. <laughs> yeah, that 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 you you take like Karen, It has to be Kvyat. <laughs> yeah, just just throw. Oh my God, Perez and Kvyat will be straight fire. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's one. Uh, Josh Chatil asks thoughts on the new Formula E commentary team. Also, as three non-WRC fans, I presume, do the 2017 cars or manufacturers entitled to start watching the series? Can I answer the second one, on. first? 
No, no. me neither. Uh, well, because, I mean, WRC, the problem is they are now going down the F1 route of they need to be faster, so we're going to have more aero. Right. Because the last thing anyone said was WRC cars need more wings. And the last thing like, anyone said that like WRC cars are slow. Power. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, the whole problem with WRC hasn't been slow cars. It's been kind of irrelevant yeah. cars. People miss I, I the think, days of having those sort of... I think it's of, not irrelevant cars. It's like, number one, not enough races and not enough short races. Like, IMSA, like, yeah. IMSA, you don't even have to watch the long races. They have a bunch of, like, standard length two-hour races if you want to just watch those. Yeah, the two-hour 45 LMS length race. That was kind of yeah. perfect. Yeah. Um, so the like question if, is well about... It's like, and I do have to say, I love the GT Pro class. If they ran two two forty five races with the GT cars, I would watch the shit out of that. Oh yeah! Oh god, I I might actually start watching that shit. Um, Mate, Corvettes, Ferraris, Aston Martins, Fords. Sorry, I'm having a crisis. I think what BMW said they're going to start a program. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, Speak- yeah, yeah. Oh, also, uh, yeah, talking about the first question, uh, I believe, was it Martin, Martin Haven? Yes, it was, Haven. This, was it alongside yeah, Dario? Yeah, Martin Haven. It was it, fine. It's not, it's, it's not going to be a new permanent team. It's temporary until, you know, F1 does not clash with Formula E. Yeah, Jack Nichols is going to clash with And to be honest rounds, with you, yeah, I feel I like... I mean, Martin Have is an incredibly experienced commentator, and I, I do kind of enjoy his low-key old man sass, yes. like especially with the World Touring Cars. He's great for that sort of biting sarcasm. Right. But even he kind of admitted it was a whole new world for him in Formula E, and I kind of get the feeling that for a series pitching itself as as dynamic and down with the kids as Formula E is, Jack Nichols make perfect sense as kind of the young guy on the block in world commentary. Yeah, but I, I think he was fine for what it was worth. And he, on, yeah. On, 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 oh, yeah, I yeah. think he was fine. I mean, it didn't look like he was brand new to the series. He was, he was perfectly it was perfectly listenable. No major problems. Dario is Dario, and he's great as always. Um... And yeah, it was fine. No, Martin Haven is the experience showed he came through nicely. No problem with him whatsoever. Um, yep, okay. Yeah, okay. He's the ultimate One pro thing at this to point. check back on Dario never won the 500 back to back. The last back to back. Last back to back winner is still on the grid. Any guesses? Yeah, Helio 2001, 2002. And before, oh, yeah. before that, it was Big Al Unser 1970, 1971. <laughs> I only know him. I only know wow. him as that guy they always say in the speed round in in, in IndyCar's test drive series on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, that's a thing uh, <laughs> on that one. But uh, yeah, so those are glasses where that's concerned. Um, question from Brian Glennon um, asking: Like, do you think the current F1 point structure of twenty five for first, eighteen for second, and so on, going down to tenth, would you like to see a change? In my honest opinion, I would do it the way NASCAR has, is where every position is a point, so win would get twenty two, and last we got on a one. Would and would bonus points be good as well with one added to the tally for leading and one for leading the most laps? I believe this could give guys incentive to go to the charge for the front and try to gain an extra point. Um, my mm. personal opinion on this, I like F1's nah. current scoring system because yeah. the big change, what I like about it a lot more than the older days when it was 10-6-4 and then it was 10-8-6, etc., was that you get more credit for a win. Um, you get yes. seven points as opposed to two and and that's the thing that the new NASCAR system ironically does really really well because it actually has a bit more I think it's like a five point gap between first and second and then it goes down one yes. point each 
So, look, for me personally, I actually quite like F1's current scoring system. Points down to 10th is about yeah. right. Yeah, um, I, the only thing I would change, like, if I had to change the current system, the fact that every basically everyone finishes a Grand Prix nowadays is a given, I would say maybe do it MotoGP style where it goes down to 15th now. To 15th, because yeah. Uh, yeah, British touring cars have adopted a similar system as well. Yeah, because so given the they have 30 car everyone's going to finish, it's, it might as well make it a little bit easier to score points. Yeah, exactly. That, that, that might help um, give teams more of a fighting chance to be a bit more competitive in the midfield because, like, finishing 11th for a team that's maybe 7th or 8th in the field is really, really good, but it's just you get, you get no credit for a uh, difference between 1.0 no. is massive. So, And also, I've never liked this idea that teams need more incentive to go for yeah, the win. No, that's not true. Like, I yeah. hate that about the chase marketing. Like, oh, now they have even more motivation to win. Do you not understand what makes a racing driver tick? Yeah, I would... The whole reason they get up in the morning is to win. Mm. Like, if you could put them in a game of tiddy weeks <laughs> with nothing on the line, and they'd still give it everything. You exactly. know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, so overall, for me, I like the system. doesn't really need change, and I like the fact that I like it more, because, I mean, look in the old days where you could win five races in a row with the same person finishing second, and then would, that, all that hold up would be for nothing if that one guy in second wins, and then the other guy has a DNF. That's not worth it. DNF should not be worth five race wins to me. Um, so for me, I, I, don't, I don't like that with the current system. Um, but so yeah, that, that's how I look at it anyway. Um, right, one more question, I think, and that is from Aaron Davidson saying, if there was any tracks that are not currently in F1 you can pick two each, what would you choose? Mm, I, we've, we've had Good this question. question before, but yeah. I'd probably say just out of the selfishness of my pick, uh, I would probably say Monticello Motor, Motor Club. I, I'm pretty sure we talked about this off air. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, we did. You're still heated about yeah, that. Yeah, that Monticello Motor Club got, you know, that Coda got picked over Monticello. Because, number one, Bernie did not like that Monticello wasn't in the city proper, so it you know, got the shaft. Yeah, he got the shaft. We've talked about it before, so I'm gonna, I'm not gonna bother on that one so much. But uh, may I, may I submit go mine go though? Istanbul Park and Road America. Fine by me. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, I missed one more question. By the way, sorry, Len Morrison asking. Name one thing you would reintroduce or get rid of in F1. Example: DRS curse. Uh, oh, I tell you one thing. I might, I would be tempted to reintroduce. Uh, one shot qualifying. Okay. I actually really enjoyed that format, and it's worked pretty well in other yeah, series. I, I, I think like it would be like fun if we had. Out. I think it would work for yeah, Q3. Yeah, if it was a one like a top shot Q3. Kind of that'd thing. be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Bathurst. The Bathurst 1000 does that with the top ten shootout. Yeah. Like honestly, like it's it's a, like a lot of formats are doing that now. Like I mean, Formula E does it now with the Super Pole format, but it's very common in bike racing now. Like world yep. and British Superbikes have a one shot qualifying. So, sorry, not world. Sorry, British Superbikes has a one shot qualifying system, and you know it's it's becoming a little bit more commonplace. I'm fine with it. I'm I'm kind of indifferent on the whole thing. Um. Me personally, but I wouldn't mind either way. Me personally, I probably would. Oof. If there's one thing I would, if I could pick just one thing to bring back or get rid Ooh, of, does introducing balance of performance count? Oh, God. I assume it would count. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that, that's opening an enormous can of worms. But yeah, sure. I don't care. I'm prepared to open them. All right, Pandora's box in the corner over there. Um, <laughs> if it were me. Hmm, I would 
Bring back the V10s. Bring back the... No, I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Dre, uh, I was about to get Katie on the phone to replace you. <laughs> uh, bring back the V10s. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, I would probably bring back Ground Effect Arrow at this point. And, yeah. And, yeah. Oh, and, yes. And, you know, I think it's 30-odd it's years since it's, since it's real bad dark days in F1 where it was used as, as a benefit and it was very dangerous and teams didn't quite know what they were doing with it. I think now in 2017, essentially, it's time to bring it back and, you know, basically open up a, the field to be more entertaining and, you know, opening up to more overtaking, less turbulent air behind cars. And I think yeah. that will be a, a big enhancement for the series going forward. At least that's how I feel about it. And I think that just about does it for Motorsport 101 this week. I think this is going to be the longest episode we've ever done on this podcast, which is just kind of crazy um, in its own right. But I hope you guys enjoyed us uh, on this week. Whoa, I didn't get to add my one thing. (laughs) Fine, King. Get it in. Get in there quick already. Go on. Okay, okay. My one thing I would add. um, Lottery and qualifying. Out. Out. We're replacing. We're, okay, we really are replacing Katie, but with you instead. Oh, <laughs> Katie's just listening to this. Like, well, I'm going to be on next week's show one way or another. <laughs> King. Well, okay. Well, I'm okay. Well, I'm busy writing King's P45. Let me just tell you that uh, we are on YouTube at, at youtube.com forward slash motorsport101, Facebook.com forward slash motorsport101, on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101, and our personal Twitters at Harrison101HD, at AJ Sports at Ryan Eric King. If, if you really like us, you can back us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. I hope you guys enjoyed this massive two-hour, 20-minute long edition of the podcast. I hope you guys really enjoy it. And um, until next time, I've been Andre Harrison. He's been Ryan King and Adam Johnson. Until next time, thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time. Sayonara. Bye. And tune in in two weeks' time to see me and Dre face off in Hell in a Cell in a retirement match. <laughs> <laughs> Loser leaves the podcast. Loser leaves the town match. <laughs> <laughs>